And welcome to the latest episode of Slam University. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Garcia. Joining me yeah. as always is the natural man, Malcolm Spinetti. The cream of the crop. Just oh, to you're be not, sour. You're so bad at it. Oh. No, there's only one guy who's good at it. <laughs> well, you're especially bad at it. Oh, yeah. Let's see yours. Ooh, I'm, he's too hot to handle, too cold to hold. Yeah, you're even Nacho. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's obvious what we're doing here today. I know. Uh, Enzo Amore, finally. Finally gets his due. (laughs) NXT, up and comer. Short podcast this week. (laughs) (laughs) It's only ten minutes long, and half of it is us making dumb voices. I know, and he was injured for, like, last year, so there we go. (laughs) No, no, no. The cream is risen, and that is Macho Man Randy Savage. Yeah, that's him. That's the guy. He's uh, You may know him from various commercials uh, over the years, but we'll get into all that in due time. Uh your man, Randy Savage. Indeed. So, why should we care, Joe? Well, Malcolm, we should care because uh, he's one of arguably, the, arguably one of the, the very best to do it in many people's minds, the very best to do it. Uh, on certain days, I'd, I'd like to put myself among those people. Sometimes it's, I think it's Ric Flair, sometimes I think it's Macho Man. In the spirit of today, I'm going ahead and, and give the, the top spot over to, to the Macho Man Randy Savage. His colorful costumes, his ridiculous in-ring ability, and just outrageous microphone skills are, are just second to none, in my opinion. Indeed. Uh, one of the... Uh, he was literally one of the biggest names in wrestling. It was like literally him, Hogan... And I'm talking about fame here, not as far as like in the ring. In the ring, I thought I think he's hands down the biggest as far as WWE. But it was like him, Warrior, and Macho Man were the guys carrying the company. Yeah. And one of the one of the key uh, points as far as you making it as far as famous, like if you were to spring a Macho Man impression anywhere, everyone would know what you're doing. <laughs> right. Yeah, you just cut one of those, like cut a Macho Man promo, and everyone's like, "Oh, Macho Man." I mean. That, if you did Roman Reigns, don't have any idea. <laughs> <laughs> Believe that. <laughs> Suffering second dash. <laughs> uh, I would say uh, he was uh, definitely one of the best in-ring performers, in fact. And as we'll point out here when we start talking about WrestleMania, I would dare say he was the very first Mr. WrestleMania as far as WWE goes. Oh, yeah, definitely, for sure. Uh, he, yeah, he, he had his probably like eight WrestleManias that he was at, and Except for maybe one or two matches uh, that are that are less awesome than the others, he's he had a pretty good track record there. Hey, that mixed tag with Dusty Rhodes and Sapphire was amazing, don't you? Listen? Oh boy, <laughs> can't, can't wait to just gloss right over that. <laughs> <laughs> just gloss right over that uh, when we get to that part. But man, um, yeah, and in researching this episode, uh, you come to realize that he's one of the more tragic figures in WWF as well. Yeah, uh, not just. You know, between, between, uh, like he had, he was he was a perfectionist through and through, and it's something that he carried through uh, in his craft and whatnot. But it also kind of carried through in how it, how he uh, interacted with others. Uh, he expected a lot of that same perfectionism, and you know, it kind of frustrated some of the others. Uh, and it also made him a little bit more paranoid than a lot of the other wrestlers were, uh, to the point where he was very isolated. Uh, and and it was just kind of a. Yeah, just kind of a really tragic thing, and the whole. Uh, we'll get to to the details and all that uh, yeah, I mean, in due time. But you can look at uh, CM Punk and see a lot of Macho Man in him. Yeah, yeah, I definitely. Uh, 
yeah, I definitely see a lot of that. When uh, I look at those two. On top of that, he was like one of the very first high flyers as far as in American wrestling whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, granted, you look at what he was doing, and today, by today's standards, it's kind of, you know, you know, basic, but back then... <laughs> yeah, it's basically just, uh, besides the elbow drop, it's axe handle smashes and that thing where he, where he grabs your head and jumps out over the top rope. But that's And that's pretty much it, but... So was but, that a guillotine or something like that? I know what you're talking about, too. The hair rope hangman or something? Yeah. I think it's what that, they call Yeah, he would just, like, grab your head, and it looked like he'd be doing, like, this uh, generic bulldog to you, but then he'd jump and then go o- over the out- over the top rope to the floor, still holding your hair, <laughs> yeah. and just, like, tugging you down on it and then letting you go, and you'd, like, whip upwards and back into the ring, and... Sometimes you'd be right in the right position for an elbow drop from the top rope. <laughs> right. Which, by the way, no one climbed to the top rope back at... I think it was like him and Coco Beware, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So definitely... Well, uh, yeah, so while his repertoire from the top rope wasn't super you know, varied, he was one of the first to, to really make it a staple of his, uh, of his arsenal, yeah. of his repertoire. Like, this might be one of the longer <laughs> how we affected wrestling, like... The matchup at WrestleMania three, which trust me, we'll talk about it. Out, uh, mm-hmm. How many people do you think inspired that to be wrestlers? Uh, pretty much, literally everybody in the last fifteen or twenty years. Yeah, most no- notably Chris Jericho, Shawn Michaels. They saw that match. Like Jerick, like Shawn Michaels and Jericho both said that they had a friend where they could just recite that match move for move for move. <laughs> it like meant that much. Like people still up. Like in Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, he still says that people come up to him and say, WrestleMania three, that was the greatest match ever. That's it's still cited as the greatest match of his career. And we're talking about Ricky Steamboat here. <laughs> yeah, and we're talking twenty eight years ago. <laughs> oh God, you're right. Oh <laughs> But yeah, he's uh he literally inspired an entire generation. And uh he was also a from especially going over the Macho Man documentary that just came out, the Macho Madness DVD set, <laughs> pretty sweet humanitarian too. Yeah. Oh god, it, it's really a tragedy that unfortunately this is the second guy we've covered that's no longer with us. And uh, I don't know about you, Joe. Um, when he passed, you know what? That was the same weekend as my graduation. So. Not only was I depressed that my favorite wrestler, like Macho Man was one of two guys that inspired me to watch wrestling. It was his matchup at WrestleMania 5 that made me start watching. But imagine not only being bummed that he's gone, but on top of that, he's also, uh, I'm also locked into in a room for three to four hours with his theme music playing nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's a sad irony. Oh god! But by the yes, uh, the graduation theme was his theme music, yeah. which sounds stupid, but trust me, he made it work. Uh, yeah. I mean the the elaborate costumes, uh, the 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 glitz, the glamour, the in ring present. He was like literally everything. He had like yeah. he was perfect. Which maybe that's thanks to how much of a perfectionist he was, and but oh, irre- <laughs> and- irre- irreplaceable. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the thing with his attire, too, is that, uh, you know, relatively speaking, of course, he was in great shape, but he was smaller than a lot of the other guys, you know, in the WWF or in wrestling in general, uh, you know, by, you know, a couple inches, not like by a huge, but, you know, definitely certainly a lot shorter than, like, say, Hulk Hogan. Uh, and uh, something someone pointed out once was that, you know, besides, you know, all the glitz and glamour, like, his earlier attire, 
uh, in WWF, you know, the big giant robe uh, that kind of gave him this ridiculous wingspan. Mm. Uh, like, it, you can pretty much kind of theorize, too, that, you know, on top of, you know, looking awesome, uh, it kind of helped him just look bigger uh, than he really was. And I thought that was an interesting dynamic. Yeah, and that was uh, actually a big part of the documentary, Macho Madness. And it was kind of interesting because if when I'm going off my own memory, Joan, keep in mind, I was like maybe five years old when I started watching wrestling. Uh, I, when I think Macho Man, I always imagined him as big as Hulk Hogan. Like, yeah. if you were to ask me, I thought, yeah, he's about like 300 pounds. Da, 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 da. No, no. no. <laughs> Pretty average sized dude. Yeah, he was not that much bigger than uh, Shawn Michaels, in fact. I mean, maybe yeah. a little bit bigger, but still pretty small. Mm-hmm. And uh, he actually, a lot of the mannerisms that he does were actually specifically designed to make himself look bigger. Like, Joe, if you look at his old matches, you'll notice like a very common thing he does. He'll, he'll start standing on the uh, front part of his feet. Right. He, which you know gave him the which allowed him to look eye to eye with Hogan and uh, with the camera shots they were usually from the waist up so you couldn't tell <laughs> <laughs> right and he kind of does this thing with his shoulders too that he kind of like he kind of puts them up a little bit too it kind of makes him look a little bit bigger as well so you know he he did a lot of very subtle things to make him seem even larger than left than he already was oh yeah and uh, going back to your costume example like uh, there was they actually interviewed the guy who did his costumes and he said Macho Man came up to me and says like e I'm really small, but you, you're going to make me gigantic. <laughs> and, and it's true. He was like, those, uh, those robes were fantastic. Not only did they give him the big wingspan, but they also made him appear larger than life, like an actual, like a legit superstar. Like, you, you remember all the costumes Macho Man had? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Like, I can still remember what he wore from WrestleMania 5, 6, and so on, man. So... Ah, oh, good times. Eh? That being said, we talked about everything, including his. He was famous for the big elbow, which CM Punk uh, would later adopt. Uh, the axe handle. I don't, a lot of people like pick on it, but considering he would usually do it on the outside, and when he was a heel, he'd usually wait for the guy to be draped on the guardrail, so he'd jump on their back, and it would like <laughs> crush them across the the top ring barrier. Yeah. Oh, it was great, and. One of his setups for the for the big elbow was the body slam, which I've come to realize not does isn't really done anymore. What do you mean, just a regular slam, or yeah, like a, setup? like a old school body slam, man? Yeah, I mean, just because <clears throat> I guess people have kind of I guess evolved the the whole the art form of wrestling. I guess it's just there are more elaborate ways to slam people. Yeah, it's like nowadays it's just a lot of striking now. To be honest, but <laughs> not that it's bad, but you know, I miss the body slam here and there. Uh, yeah, and, but anyway, Joe, uh, unless there's anything I'm missing out, uh, I think we, it's about time to dive. Right in. All right. All right. <clears throat> so, that being said, Malcolm, let's talk about Randy Mario Papo, born November 15th, 1952. Okay, uh, Mario, I'm already learning something. Hey, <laughs> there. <clears throat> born in Columbus, Ohio, to Judy and Angelo Papo. Angelo was a well-known wrestler of the 50s and 60s, once recognized by Ripley's Believe It or Not for doing 6,033 sit-ups in 4 hours and 10 minutes when he was in the Navy. And they uh, they actually talked about this in the documentary, because supposedly, if you're doing that many sit-ups, you should die. Like, Yeah, so, so, <laughs> apparently somebody who attempted this record did die, uh, so they were very careful about it. But um, 
Yeah, the extra 33 that he did apparently were were done because uh, he was a super Catholic dude, uh, Angelo Papo, and he wanted to do one extra one for each of Jesus' life, <laughs> for each year of Jesus' life on Earth, apparently. Oh, boy. Uh, so there you go. <laughs> so that, like, I've already done 6,000, and what's another 33? Um, so that's interesting. Hmm. Uh, of course, Randy, the older of two brothers, uh, Lanny Poffo, uh, best known for his time with WWF as a genius, and as you may know, dear listener, as the mascot, I guess, for uh, this podcast, hey. he's the cover art. Um, he's right there on the front, folks. <laughs> he's right there. He's right there. Um, interestingly, I thought, for, for a Chicago native as myself, he attended high school in Downers Grove, Illinois, which is a suburb about 30 minutes west of the city. Uh there, he excelled as a catcher on the baseball team, Malcolm, hitting 500 in his junior year and 521 as a senior. Uh, yeah, he was pretty huge into baseball back at this time. Mm-hmm. Back to you. Uh, he was big into just about every sport, but primarily baseball. <laughs> yeah, and uh, after graduating high school, he was actually signed by the St. Louis Cardinals uh, to, to a minor league, system, or minor league contract, joined their farm system over there, uh, where he played both catcher and outfielder from about 1971 to 1973. Um, unfortunately, he suffered a badly separated shoulder in 1973, uh, which kind of led the Cardinals to release him, uh, and he would sign a, another deal with the Cincinnati Reds next year in 74, but his throwing power had, you know, waned tremendously from a separated shoulder that was his throwing armor. Um, so what he did was he taught himself to throw left-handed over the course of eight months, uh, throwing about 1,500 balls per day, just kind of filling up the strength in his other shoulder, uh, instead. Uh, and he was able to throw ambidextrously, uh, as 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 the term goes. Um, and he could still hit as well. Uh, and he signed with the White Sox a little bit later after that. Uh, <clears throat> but unfortunately, in, as a first baseman at that. Uh, but unfortunately, because he was, while he was able to get power in his left arm, he was never able to throw accurately with his left arm. Uh, oh. So he couldn't make the double play sidearm throw necessary to for double plays uh, to throw to second base. Uh, without hitting <laughs> the guy running the base path. Uh, so, unfortunately, it did not make him very useful, and he was cut. And his minor league baseball dream was dead. Yeah, and they made a big part of this uh, on the DVD set, because, you know, Lanny Poffo, uh, the genius, was talking about how when he came home, there was this bag where he had, like, all his practice bats in it. And he just sat in the car for a little, little while, then he grabbed the bag, took it to this big oak tree, and just swung him right into the tree and just snapped each and every single one to sort of to symbolize his dream of playing baseball was uh, snapped or crushed now. So yeah, very depressing. Poor guy. <laughs> so early on, Randy had a flair for the dramatic. You can say at a young age. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, seeing pictures of young Randy is pretty scary. <laughs> <laughs> um, Unfortunately, while he was he was also dabbling in wrestling a little bit, while, even while he was a minor league uh, baseball player. Uh, but you know, with the end of his baseball career, that was pretty much cause enough for him to commit full time to what basically had become the family business. You know, Lanny had been in the wrestling game for a little while already, while he was out there playing baseball. So, pretty easy transition for him to make post uh, baseball, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he did pretty good. Yeah, he did all right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I looked at his minor league stats on uh, baseballreference.com, and uh, yeah, he did all right. Not like, like nothing. He wasn't like a spectacular hitter, but he, he seemed capable, bat, batted for a decent average. Mm. So, good, good on him. <laughs> um, yeah, good effort. 
<laughs> good job, good effort. Uh, early on in Florida and Georgia, he would wrestle as Randy Poffo, you know, using his, his, his Christian name, if you will, uh, mm. but would also sometimes perform as a masked wrestler called The Spider. Uh, eventually, at the behest of Georgia Championship, Championship Wrestling's Ole Anderson, or Ole Anderson, he started calling himself Randy Savage. Mm. The reason for this was that Anderson believed that a name like Poffo did not fit someone who, quote, wrestled like a savage. Uh, so, yeah, and uh, he went, like, full steam with his character. Like, typically when we do these reviews, you, the character kind of sh- takes shapes, like, maybe a long, long time. Like, probably, like, a long way into their WWE run. But Macho Man actually became Macho Man pretty quick here. <laughs> yeah, uh, like, even with Hogan, it was, it was what, the... The, the Super Destroyer and uh, Golden Sterling or, oh, or Sterling Golden. Uh, <laughs> like, he had a whole mess of things that he was before uh, before they landed on Hulk Hogan. And uh, he's like, no, Randy Savage is, is uh, pretty apparent. So that that was very easy. And apparently, uh, the Macho Man nickname uh, was came about after his mother had read, like, an article or an interview in Reader's Digest predicting that it would become a popular term in the near future. And he's like, yeah, okay, I'll be, I'll be that as well. So, Macho Man and Randy Savage. He was like, yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And he Sounds went pretty good. Ooh, yeah. And speaking of which, at this point, you know, he just sort of went full steam ahead. Like, as soon as he was told you wrestle like a savage, like, and this is going off the DVD set once again, and he was just very much like, okay, I wrestle like a savage. How can I make myself even more like a savage? And this is where he grew the beard out and the hair out to sort of give him a more wild man look to him. And that's when he started training his physique as he had a very baseball physique, you know, not really yeah. the hooking and stature. So then he just started working the F out and he blew himself up pretty nicely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, as far as like uh, one of his most popular sayings, like he was, uh, he actually, according to his brother, the genius, he said that his brother asked him a lot for advice, and they asked him like, what, "What's something I could say?" And he brought up an old wrestler from Hawaii who cut this uh, promo. Was like, uh, like, "Hey, come to the fairgrounds on Saturday, and you will see us on here on WKPI." Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and so he said, yeah, told him, try that, sit, do that promo that we heard. And he said it, and except he said it like Macho Man Randy Savage. And Lenny was like, that's the ticket. <laughs> <laughs> that's the ticket. And that, and a legend was born. Hmm. And uh, not too long after all of this, Malcolm, he would, him and Lenny would join International Championship, Wrestling, International Championship Wrestling, a new promotion started by none other than then their father, Angelo Poffo, in 1978, believing that his sons just were not getting the right push. Uh, ICW was what they call an outlaw promotion, or what they called an outlaw promotion, meaning that it wasn't recognized by the National Wrestling Alliance and competed, and competed directly with NWA's regional member organization. Hmm. Honestly, though, it's, it was kind of a vanity project for Angelo. Just to get his sons over, yeah. Pretty much. He's like, if I if you won't do it, I'll do it myself, damn it. And it basically just, yeah, and, you know, because on top of, you know, them starting it, the organization, they were kind of the only guys that were winning the top title in the organization as well. They are kind of just trading <laughs> the heavyweight title from that organization back and forth between uh, Randy and Lanny. So it was kind of funny. But, you know, they also attracted some pretty decent talent as well uh, from time to time. You know, they had a one-man gang in there at one time, Ernie Ladd. 
uh, Bob Orton Jr. Um, and at one point, uh, Elizabeth Hewlett as well was uh, was an interviewer or an on, uh, on-air talent as well. Uh, you would know her later on as Miss Elizabeth. Ooh, more on her later. Oh yeah, you can't, you can't. It's impossible to talk yeah. about your man without talking about uh, Miss Elizabeth as well. But yeah, they actually would get married pretty much right at the tail end of ICW's life cycle, uh, hmm. which was in 1980. Uh, was it 1983 or 1984? Where did I? I 1984. Ah. Wait, no, 1983. There you go. Uh, is when ICW basically shut down because uh, the attendance was kind of going down and. Uh, because, you know, you can only have so many matches where it's like, <laughs> where it's the same champions over and over. Uh, Did you uh, capture catch anything about how the their fed feud with uh, Memphis or mm-hmm. with the Lawler's fed? Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they, they're kind of feuding there. Uh, and eventually they were the ones who bought them out. Uh, oh, the, okay. The Continental Wrestling Association, uh, Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Lawler both bought out uh, uh, the ICW. So that was... Unsurprising. <laughs> uh, no, that was a funny. They actually showed some of the promos once again on the Blu-ray, and it's just uh, essentially Macho Man just start, starts calling out Jerry Lawler. He's like, yeah. Lawler, you gonna go down? And then he, he would then cut to like, and I'm not even kidding, a training montage of him preparing to kick Jerry Lawler's ass. <laughs> <laughs> it was oh. And it sort of kills me because I'm watching this and it's like the 85, 84, you said. And I remember these two kind of feuding when they were both announcers for WWE years later. (laughs) Oh, boy. But, yeah, I mean, and it was cool because he's like essentially – like if you told me this was Macho Man from WWE, I would have bought bought it because he was pretty much dead on. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, you know, the buyout, too, from CWA made that transition pretty easy. Uh, into the, the Memphis territory, you know, he feuded with Lawler there um, for the AWA Southern Heavyweight Championship. Uh, he also teamed with Lanny against the Rock and Roll Express while they were both at the at CWA. Oh boy, uh, the Rock and Roll Express! <laughs> <laughs> uh, Savage would turn babyface though. Uh, you know, made 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 a nice face turn by, li- by lining himself with Lawler at one point, uh, but then he went ahead and turned on him again <laughs> and culminated <laughs> in a loser leaves town match on June seventh. 1984, which of course Jerry Lawler would win, uh, because it's his organization. Why would he leave? <laughs> It'd be hysterical uh, if he did lose. Just, like everyone <laughs> was like plotting, then stop. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, man, and uh, just to clarify, from the ICW earlier, uh, that closed down in 1984. Mm. I was unclear on that before. Uh, now. For about a year after, or about a year later after leaving CWA, he would sign with the World Wrestling Federation in June 1985, uh, or more specifically, June 17, 1985, according to Randy himself in an IGN interview he gave a little while ago. He was touted as a top free agent in wrestling. I don't know if you remember Malcolm. Yes. Uh, upon yeah. his arrival. Oh yeah, and uh, you know every. It was like actually a really, really big deal. Like he was like the number one free agent in WWE. <laughs> yeah, and all the managers, uh, you know, Bobby Heenan, Jimmy Hart, Freddie Blassie, all of them were kind of just vying for for signing him as a client. Which is such a good way to bring in a new guy to make him seem like a big deal. And keep in mind, this is back at this point in WWE. There was like six, seven managers that, that were fighting yeah. for him. It was like Bobby Heenan, Jimmy Hart, Slick. Uh, Oliver Humperdinck, uh, 
friggin' Freddy, uh, classy Freddy Blassie, the wizard. Uh, like, friggin' A, there are like so many guys like trying to court him. But little did they know that it was all for naught. <laughs> yeah, because he eventually would choose none other than Miss Elizabeth as his manager on the August 24th, 1985 episode of Primetime Wrestling Malcolm. Indeed. And all of us like, wait, you're not picking me? And she comes out and they're like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, and the, and when they bring her out, like they like you know like they sh- they show her and like the announcers, I think it was like Gorilla Monsoon and I forget who else. I think it was was it was it uh the body was it Jesse Ventura? Yes, you know, but they were all, they were just like in awe of like was like is that a movie star? Like what? <laughs> it's like and like yeah, like she was the first lady of wrestling, uh, and. Yeah, like, the weird thing about Miss Elizabeth, you know, obviously she was a beautiful woman and all that, but, like, they they put her on this weird pedestal that I've never seen them put another woman on uh, in WWF. Indeed, and uh, funny little fact, you know who was actually at one point supposed to be the manager for Miss for Miss Elizabeth, for Macho <laughs> Man Randy Savage? Uh, who's that? Missy Hyatt. Really? Yep, they, they had her penciled in until Macho Man... Came in and said, hey, look, uh, I don't want to mess around with what you're doing, or, but, you know, my wife is pretty attractive, and uh, <laughs> she's uh, fit. I think she'd be perfect. So they brought her in for an audition, and they fell in love with her. And, uh, yeah, it was just as you said. For pretty much her entire career, she was essentially placed on this amazing pedestal. And just as this awesome, this symbol of class and dignity and uh, womanhood, for lack of a better term here. <laughs> and, you know, the crowd just fell in love with her. And her being with Macho Man was amazing, which uh, we'll, we'll talk about the relationship in a second. But she had Macho Man, who was just utter, complete chaos, this this uh, wild-looking thing. And then you have Miss Elizabeth, beautiful, <laughs> dignified. And gentle, was, gen- yes. And it's like <laughs> these two shouldn't work, but they worked so yeah, well. Yeah, like, like you know, Randy was you know this jealous, overprotective egomaniac, and like you couldn't even, like you couldn't even look at her without like Randy just taking her head and plowing it into a <laughs> into the ring post there. Indeed, and it was actually a pretty cool dynamic. Is that you know, if you were one of those fans who loved heels, Macho Man gave you a lot to work with. He was great in the ring, and his character was a complete nutter piece of garbage, <laughs> and you just fell in love with him. Or if you were a face lover, you felt really bad for how he was treating Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Like, oh. <laughs> all right, on the network, go check out some of the really early Saturday Night's main event. He treats her like crap. Yeah. <laughs> Like, one of my favorite scenes, they're at a water park, and it, it looks like a 100-foot drop. And he's <laughs> like, come on, Elizabeth, you're jumping. And she's like, no, no, come on. We're going to make her, <laughs> give me some courage. Shoves her out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It's so no. terrible, but it's, like, amazing. Like, oh, boy. Not to, like, jump ahead there for you, Joe. I apologize. Yeah. but Yeah, unfortunately, though, uh, this, this jealousy wasn't just an on-camera, you know, Work uh, according to Hulk Hogan, Savage uh, would make Elizabeth look at the floor when she was backstage, so that she wouldn't make eye contact with any of the other men, mm-hmm. uh, which is very uh, weird. Uh, uh, on top of this, it's actually been said that he used to lock Elizabeth inside their home for days at a time, which is actual abusive behavior, uh, mm-hmm. which is pretty terrible. Oh yeah, and when they were traveling about, you know, she would he would basically lock her in the dressing room to make sure none of the guys and. 
I'm not defending the actions, but you know, the, the way that, you know, wrestlers would, you know, go about with women and what have you is well documented. And sure. to, to some extent, I can understand his concern for his wife being around this bunch. Not the way to go about it. Not the way to go about it. However, if they were going to stay married, this is the way they would have to go about it. Because, you know, Macho Man, as we'll talk about more, was such a control freak that, mm. you know, there was no way he could, he could be married and not be around the woman 24-7. So, yeah. So, so, yeah, unfortunately, uh, a lot of what made him tick in the ring is also what made him a little bit more abrasive outside of it. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, he would make his WWF pay-per-view debut at the Wrestling Classic, the one-shot pay-per-view that's never been uh, repeated, uh, mm. with the exception of the WWF Championship match between Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper. Uh, it was filled entirely by a 16-man tournament uh, w- in which Savage would defeat Ivan Putski, uh, Ricky Steamboat, and the Dynamite Kid in the opening rounds, but would lose in the tournament final against Junkyard Dog. Uh, via countout. I don't know if you've watched this tournament before, Malcolm. Yeah, it's so weird because Macho Man, like, it's pretty much like the first King of the Ring pay-per-view where you see Brett take on, like, wrestle each and every single round. But Junkyard Dog actually got, like, one or two buys to get it to the final. <laughs> yeah. So, he got one by one. There was, like, a double DQ or something. Yeah, so even though Macho Man lost, it still kind of put Macho Man over because... He almost beats Junkyard Dog, and you saw him wrestle several times, like every single time, against other other wrestlers. And all the matches were pretty interesting. Like Dynamite Kid, him versus Dynamite Kid. You know, where else are you going to see that? But wrestling classic, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I-, I thought it put over Macho Man more than it did Junkyard Dog. But you know, yeah, I guess- and and he put in a lot of really great. Uh, early heel work as well because the first two matches that he won against you know Putski and, and Steamboat they were pretty much he won them pretty much by cheating. Uh, he he, he pinned uh, uh, Putski with a leverage pin with his feet on the on the second rope and I forget <laughs> how he and I forget how he beat Steamboat but it, he definitely did not do it earnestly as well. Yeah, just, it was not a it was not the Chai Town brawl with Ric Flair now. Just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, like all these matches that you know because it's a sixty man tournament in one show like all the matches. Or like five minutes at the most. Still, he wrestled. Uh, yeah. I should also point, I also want to point out before I forget, uh, the way that Macho Man would use Elizabeth in the matches. When people become factions, you know, they they really don't do too much. Sometimes they don't do too much. Like when Dolph Ziggler had Big E and AJ in his corner, they I don't think they were utilized as much as they could be, could have been during the match. They should have been like, just Dolph should have been throwing people out, and they should have been destroying them on the outside every chance he got. But <laughs> yeah, Elizabeth was a huge part of every single match. Like the face would be chasing Macho Man on the outside, and then he would run around Elizabeth and hold her in front as like a shield. <laughs> yeah, and they'd be like, "Oh, come on!" And everyone would start booing. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, the interesting too thing too is though is that she he wouldn't use her like he would use her only as like a shield basically because you know she would never actually. She would very, very rarely actually involve herself in the in the match. Like, oh yeah, Elizabeth was face. Yeah, let's not make you know. While Grant, it was super, super heel. Uh, you know, he, you know, Elizabeth was a pure face, and people loved her, which is what, which is how Macho Man got even more booze because they felt bad for Elizabeth and how he's <laughs> being treat, how she was being treated. Yeah. Oh, it, it was great. Mm-hmm. 
Now, on November 2nd, 1985, the, the main event show that day, uh, the Saturday, night, Saturday Night's main event, uh, he had his first title match uh, in the WWF against Tito Santana for his Intercontinental Championship. I remember uh, so, him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Santana would retain his title as a result of a double countout, though. Uh, so, there's that. But on the not too long after that, a couple months later, on January 4th, 1986, uh, he would begin uh, one of his more memorable uh, feuds on Saturday night's main event again with George the Animal Steel. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> when he, <laughs> when Steel would develop a crush on Miss Elizabeth, uh, and you know, just just whipping Macho Man into a wild, jealous craze. Uh, this was so great. It was. I I was surprised when I started watching the the Saturday night's main event, which is where the crux of this feud and uh, WrestleMania two, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, before all I had was that WrestleMania two match, but then and I I saw them and the interactions. Steel would come out during matches or be in the corner of guys that Macho Man was fighting, and it just like developed a feud. And he just wanted to be around Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was kind of adorable. It was kind of like this weird like audience surrogate of where he was like, yeah, like the audience loves Elizabeth, and they just want to be near her. And I guess that's George Steele doing that. <laughs> um, yeah, and it was it was pretty great. Um, according to Steele, the feud was only supposed to last uh, like a couple of months, but the reception was so great that that it continued for over a year. Uh, yeah, just a lot of a lot of fun with that. Oh yeah, yeah. And but just to bring it back a little bit, rain it in on February 11th next month, 1986, uh, on primetime wrestling, Savage would finally get his rematch against Tito Santana and beat him to win the Intercontinental Championship. Albeit, after using a foreign object that he'd had stashed away in his trunks. I, I, I loved it, too. You know, Tito, like, grabbed him from the outside, lifted him up to look to be what was an atomic drop or backdrop. Then Macho Man would just bop him right on the head with the brass knucks <laughs> and then tuck it back in his tights and pin him. <laughs> uh, classic field work. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And uh, th- keep in mind, this is back when that IC title meant everything. In the thing, mm-hmm. it's like uh, you you hear the you know guys like Ambrose talk about it, you know, especially with WrestleMania being next week at the time of this recording, just talking about you know how the belt used to mean something. Like the IC belt used to be what the guys that people were what WWE was considering giving the world title would get to see how it works. Like Brett would call it the workhorse title because usually the IC cha- like usually the world champion would be the attraction, but when people left, they were talking about that IC title match that they saw. Mm-hmm. So, Ma- Macho Man, to get this, you said it was 86, and when did he d- debut with the WWE? Um, he debuted in June of 85. So, l- less than a year. That's huge. That's a, that's that's showing them that they, that's showing a lot that WWE felt like, okay, give him the belt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and, and after winning the title, he would continue that feud uh, with Steele, uh, Defending his title against uh, him in, at WrestleMania 2 uh, in the New York segment or the New York part of the show. Uh, and uh, have you seen this match, Malcolm? With uh, George Steele? Mm hmm. Yes, but admittingly, it's been a while. Yeah, it's not too memorable. But, you know, it's, an <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's fun just seeing uh, Macho Man just kind of, kind of distract himself with Elizabeth because he doesn't want Steele to be too close to her, uh, like being very careful about where. Everybody is at all times. It's 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 kind of fun to watch this bet. Uh, yeah, kind of surprising it wasn't the main event when the city was being held at. 
Yeah, I, I, I kind of, I forget what, what the matches that took place at each venue were. Uh, I think the main event was a boxing match in New York. Yeah, Piper and uh, T. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what was what was there. Uh, but there you go. Hmm. Um, now around this time too, uh, or soon after that, uh, you know, you would continue. You're still continu- continuing this this whole thing with with George Steele, uh, who is you know still sending like Miss Elizabeth gifts and stuff. Uh, like you'd send her flowers and and like turnbuckle stuffing and whatever, uh, because that's what George Steele was doing at the time, just mindlessly eating turnbuckles or whatever. Mm. Uh, and uh, not too far after that, he would also begin a feud with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat Malcolm at one point, yes. which was <laughs> at, at one point injuring Mister Steamboat by crushing his larynx against the guardrail uh, <laughs> using one of the patented maneuvers that you were describing earlier off the top rope, I believe. Indeed. Uh- when you look back at Ricky Steamboat's first run in WWE, it was really just him getting the crap kicked out of him. Like, <laughs> Jake DDT'd him on the outside and knocked him out. I mean, <laughs> shit. <laughs> Th- this crushed larynx. It's all just him just getting hospitalized. But, yeah, uh, the uh, key focus of this attack was, that, was Macho Man would grab the ring bell, which used to be an important weapon like you could grab that in video games and hit people but <laughs> that's right yeah <laughs> you would grab the ring bell this like basically the square piece of wood with a bell attached to it climb to the top rope and jump off and i don't want to say he elbowed him with it but he basically drove it into uh, his tra- steamboat's trachea yeah. from the top and crushing it which i know what you're saying folks that should kill a guy but it's wrestling <laughs> <Calm down. laughs> uh and so great to the build to to the match at wrestlemania 3 uh, not too long after that, is that <laughs> uh, Gene Ogilvy went backstage somewhere and spoke to a quote-unquote doctor who was clearly just some guy uh, from like the production yeah. team that they yeah, put the a, guy a lab di- coat on. The guy who di- diagnosed Ace's cast, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> like I look, like looking at the guy, he's got this dirty mustache and like terrible hair. It's like you're not a doctor, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Just like um, that guy from Raw last week was a lawyer. <laughs> oh God, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man, so that's and you know they were they were attributing uh, Steamboat's miraculous recovery to his incredible physique and his tremendous heart <laughs> and this and that and say oh, okay, this is great because um, that repairs a trachea heart. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed it does. Um, By the way, uh, I just want to say when uh, he was when Steamboat was being wheeled out. Like the sea of him, like they try to put him on a on a stretcher, but he keeps like thrashing and trying to get up, clinching his throat and sticking his <laughs> hand out. I was like, oh, I was like, holy shit! Just, <laughs> it just made the moment just much more. And um, uh, going back to these uh, backstage interviews, the way they built it up was also great. That you, you don't see this anymore from WWE, sadly. But uh, like one in particular, I remember they did an interview with Ricky Steamboat. And where he's trying to talk, mm-hmm. he's like, "Macho Man, I'm gonna get you." <laughs> and he would, and he kept having to stop, drink some water. You know, his throat was all bandaged up and what have you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it just uh, like WrestleMania, and so, but yeah, oh, it just like watching him like just regroup. It was just amazing, and it built up to the match at WrestleMania three. Yeah, I mean, in between though, while he oh. was out recuperating, he would still fight Steel a couple more times on and a main event uh, in January and in March, uh, defending the title each time. Uh, but then he would make that return in time for WrestleMania Three, Malcolm, 
uh, on March 29, 1987, where he would take uh, on Ricky Steamboat with the Intercontinental strap on the line, Malcolm. Indeed, and should, should we talk about take this time to mention how much of a perfectionist Macho Man is? This would be the place to do it. Indeed, uh, and this is a big part of the once again on the DVD where. Uh, leading up to the pay-per-view, Macho Man would come up to uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat with this big, uh, with this big yellow legal pad completely filled out, mm-hmm. and in it, every single move for the match is mapped out one yeah. through one through like a hundred something, <laughs> and like all right, first. Move number one, we lock up. Like, he wasn't even talking about big moves in the match. He was talking <laughs> every single move. <laughs> yeah. Like, then we pace each other. And Ricky was, like, telling how WrestleMania was kind of a nightmare. There, because, like, Macho Man would come up to him and like, all right, moves number 76 through 84, what are there? Like, he would, <laughs> he would literally quiz him, and he was like, yeah. I, I, dude, we're professionals. We could just go out there and wing it. He's like, No. <laughs> Doing it like this, <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, uh, of course, the 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 end of of a wrestling match is typically predetermined. But the way it usually works, right, Malcolm, is that is that besides you know the predetermined end of the match, like every like the two performers or however many people are performing, they kind of do wing it uh, in the ring, do they not? Yeah, the, it's just like they'll have like maybe one or two big spots uh, planned out. But aside from that, the journey they go down, they just like plan. Do whatever, do whatever that comes to them. It's very much which makes it organic and planned out there, or it's not planned out, organic and just have a great flow to it. Yeah. That's spontaneity, which you don't get anymore. Now, admittingly, despite the fact that this was mapped out, fantastic and legendary match. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would say that the the perfectionism was worth it. The 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 fickleness of it all was very much worthwhile. Like, because with Macho Man, he not only planned out the match, he planned out everything. Like, uh, this, there's a very famous scene in it, like, after Macho Man loses, spoiler, and where <laughs> where he gets on those carts that they had for that WrestleMania, which uh, sadly was due to the fact that, you know, Andre was having trouble walking at that point. But where Macho Man, there was this shot where, like, all right, I want the camera right here for when I get on the cart. And Macho Man gets on the cart looks face down in the corner of it, looking all forlorn with Elizabeth patting him on the back, you know, trying to lift his spirits. And you see the cart just go off in the distance. And it's a shot that just sticks with you the entire time. <laughs> and, uh, oh. oh, but yeah, he mapped out the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Move for move for move for move. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, you know, he worked with, 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 uh, George Steele a lot as well. Uh, mm. he kind of gave him the same thing. Like he, he, Mentioned in his book, Animal, uh, he talked about a time that Savage brought in the script, four or five pages long, he said, <laughs> uh, for a match one night. Uh, Steel, though, was much less receptive to Randy's request than Ricky Steamboat would be, <laughs> unfortunately for uh, Randy. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, eventually, Savage did get over the fact that not everybody that he worked with would, you know, be privy to reading a, a multi-page script for a match, but, uh, but yeah. Legend, like, you know- I mean, it's funny you say that because I, what I do remember those matches with Rick, with uh, George the Animal Steel, it, they felt very chaotic. Yeah, you know, I wonder how much of that was like Randy just like so confused about not not knowing what to do. <laughs> Basically, yeah, because uh, you know at this point, you know Steel had been wrestling for quite a while on his own. You know, he he, he was a, a 
you know, weathered veteran of uh, the wrestling world. So he, he he had the clout to be able to say, you know what, Randy, I know you're a big, you're gonna be a big star one day, but I don't want to do this with you <laughs> this way. So they didn't have to do it that way, and that's why. To that uh, extent, though. How legendary would those matches have been if he did listen to uh, <laughs> all those moves? Imagine if him versus George the Animal Steel was on par with him and Steamboat. <laughs> that would have been ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, the, the match, you eat the turnbuckle. An <laughs> <laughs> uh, interesting thing, too, is that this match at WrestleMania 3 was the culmination of not just the feud with, with, uh, with Steamboat, but as well as, you know, George Steele, because he was a big part of the match as well. Yeah, they would have a... In a "Quote unquote blow off match on Saturday night's late Saturday night's main event, which I believe was a lumberjack match, which allowed Macho Man to cheat a little bit more, mm-hmm. and you know he hit the elbow and won that. But in the same point, you know George Steele got his vindication because Macho Man, I, I, he either had a, the ring bell or the uh, the belt on him, and he was going to jump off and hit uh, Steamboat again. But it was George yeah. Steele who would get up on the apron, shove him from his butt." Yep. And for, forced him to flip, and thus got his revenge that way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so everything was tied up in a very nice, neat bow uh, at WrestleMania three. Uh, yeah. So that was the end of Macho Man's lone intercontinental reign, but it was a one of the most prestigious reigns, I would say, uh, in the title's history because he he defended it every chance he could, uh, and it was he held it for over a year. Yeah, like, and to just wrap up on that match in particular. Uh, with that match uh, right there, you know, if you were to look at it now, you may not understand, especially if you're a fan that started recently, you may not understand why that was so big. Keep in mind, back then, you know, you, the matchup was a lot of big lumbering dudes who would do like bear hugs and just like bounce into each other for like <laughs> yeah. 10 minutes. This is the first time you saw like, you know, Irish whips and big and jumping moves and top rope moves like uh, Pretty those, those Ricky, those Ricky Steamboat, goddamn arm drags, man. Oh god, the arm drags, the cross bodies, uh, poetry they are, indeed. And but yeah, going his uh, first title reign, quite a success. He yeah. held held it for pretty much a year, right? Or, Over a year, he won it at uh, he won it in, in February of '86. He he dropped it uh, at the end of March of '87. Indeed, and culminating in. What is still considered one of the greatest WrestleMania matches of all time, if not the greatest? Yeah, it's it's way up there, indeed. And this would that would just be the first of a streak of WrestleManias, as we'll discuss. As once again, he is Mister WrestleMania, in my opinion. But <laughs> Joe, where, where does uh, the journey of the Macho Man take us next? Well, uh, even though he lost the Intercontinental Title, Malcolm, his star would continue to rise as he would win the 1987 King of the Ring tournament. Uh, and despite being a giant heel, he was, he was beginning to win fans over as well. Uh, Funny how that works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, man, it's like, did, did you watch WrestleMania 3? <laughs> Why would you not love this guy? Like, if you do a well enough job, you're like, like I, I can't boo this guy, man. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it anymore. Uh, and, uh, you know, soon after he won the King of the Ring, uh, Honky Tonk Man would declare himself the greatest IC champion of all time. Uh, much to the chagrin of the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Uh, so on the October 3rd, 1987 edition of Main Event, Savage would face Honky Tonk Man for that championship, uh, a match that Randy would win, although he would win it by DQ, uh, after Jimmy Hart and the Hart Foundation interfered. 
and kind of whomped his ass. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that guitar shot it would be shown for quite a while on poor Macho Man. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, of course, they would continue to assault him after the match. And that leads up to the famous instance of Elizabeth going backstage to seek help from none other than Hulk Hogan. Yeah, little do people know, uh, Miss Elizabeth is a summoner, and she can just summon <laughs> Basically, Hulk. she summoned Odin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, of course, Hulk Hogan being the giant, the, the, the 1980s John Cena, he was appalled by the miscarriage of justice taking place in the ring. Uh, so he goes on to rescue Savage and so, sows the seeds for the Mega Powers later on. Indeed, and that, that explosion when they shook hands, you know, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody would lose their minds uh, watching that. This would begin a very interesting relationship between Macho Man and Hulk Hogan as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, anyway, though, continuing on to the February 5th, 1988 show of the main event. It's slightly different than the Saturday Night's main event in that it was a live broadcast. Uh, Savage defeated Honky Tonk Man again for the in a match for the title, uh, the IC belt, but uh, he retained because he lost via countout, so of course the belt does not change hands that way. Uh, more notably, though, the episode also features a WrestleMania 3 rematch where Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant uh, faced off for the WWE Championship. Uh, and, you know, of course, Hulk Hogan would lose in a, in a roundabout miscarriage of justice of his own in which he was robbed for the title. How can uh, there be two Earl Hebner's? <laughs> uh, of course, we talked about this in detail in both the Hulk Hogan and Andre episodes, so go listen to those oh, uh, yeah. if you want, want more about that specific instance, but uh, it's it's important because it sets up WrestleMania 4 uh, because the title was vacated and a tournament was set up there uh, to determine a new champion. Uh, Jack Tunney you know, just said, nope, this is this will not stand. Uh, so a, so a, the, cha- the tournament, uh, the first and still only of its kind for WrestleMania uh, to, deter- to determine a <laughs> WWE ch- or WWF champion. So let's fast forward to that event. You know, in his first and second matches of the tournament, Macho Man pins both Butch Reed and uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine, respectively. Uh, the semifinals see him defeat a rested one-man gang who had earned a bye in the second round since both of his potential opponents wrestled to a draw. Uh, I think it was like, I think it was. Uh, was it Rick Rude and Jake, Jake and Jake Roberts? Who? I th- I think so. I remember them ha- wrestling to a draw. Yeah, so that gave one man gang a, a, a buy for his round. And hey, Joe, remember remember time limit draws, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Uh, oh, so good times. <laughs> yeah. So he beats one man gang via disqualification, and that sets up a final uh, between him and Ted DiBiase. Uh, and again, Ted DiBiase had also gotten a, a, a buy for his last round. Uh, when Hogan and Andre uh, ended up in a double DQ, so he faced two consecutive rested opponents on his way to the to the tournament final. Mm-hmm. Very very impressive for for the Macho Man Randy Savage. Indeed, yeah. And uh, we've covered this a little bit uh, in the Hulk Hogan in the Hulk Hogan uh, uh, bio bio. Feel free to go check that out once again. We'd like to show <laughs> our old episodes, but Macho Man fighting. Fighting not only Ted DiBiase, but Andre the Giant, who was at ringside, mm-hmm. who made his presence known, most notably when Macho Man went up for the axe handle, Andre would step in front and said, yeah, go ahead, jump. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> he looked like he could care less. <laughs> oh, man. And, of course, this in turn causes Hulk Hogan to come out to even the odds. Uh, and, you know, when the referee's distracted by Andre, Hogan just goes ahead and wails 
DiBiase with the steel chair to break, you know, the million dollar dream that he has uh, uh, Macho Man wrapped up in. And uh, that allows Savage to successfully hit the flying elbow drop for the one, two, three. And he secures his first WWF championship. Indeed. And that image of just Hogan, Macho Man, and Elizabeth celebrating, hitting uh, quite memorable. One of the most legendary WrestleMania performances. So all my uh, misgivings about the tournament uh, notwithstanding. But, you know, it made uh, we had a new champion whose name wasn't Hulk Hogan. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Now, of course, despite this well-deserved win for the Macho Man, uh, kind of exemplified his role as second fiddle in WWF because, uh, you know, WrestleMania 4 is just the latest in a string of rescues from Hulk Hogan. Uh, yeah. where the Hulkster spends in t- and you know the Hulkster spends the entire time just celebrating uh, in the ring with them. Uh, so yeah. despite being the new champ, he's still kind of a sidekick uh, to Hulk Hogan. Indeed, and you know, it was like back in the day there was a VHS tape called Macho Madness with the best of the Macho Man. Seven matches, all ending with Hulk Hogan coming out to <laughs> help the Macho Man. Oh my god! <laughs> so yeah, so I mean, I mean, in in my mind, I don't think there was a better wrestler at, in you know in the WWF at this time. Uh, yeah. But but uh, he he was just a sidekick, is all he was, unfortunately. Indeed, and you know, it made sense at WrestleMania because you know Hogan was getting revenge not was not only helping Savage, but he was getting revenge for on Ted DiBiase for costing him the belt. So it yeah. was kind of justified there. But every single time, could, could Macho Man not stand on his freaking own? And this would just be the start of you know. Because unfortunately, I'd love to say it ended here with him <laughs> playing not. second fit in the Hogan. No, it it would be kind of be his career, <laughs> sadly. <laughs> uh, fortunately for for Macho Man, you know, in the spring of '88, Hogan took a brief leave of absence to film No Holds Barred, uh, so that allowed him to keep the spotlight on, on himself for just a little while, uh, <laughs> defending the title against the likes of One Man Gang uh, on Saturday Night's main event on April 30th. Uh, which is impressive, you know. One man gang is no small man. Uh, yeah, keep in mind back another thing that I like to point out at this time: uh, if you were a fat guy, you were a major threat. Like, <laughs> Basically, yeah. Big boss man Andre the Giant, Akeem, who used to be the one man gang. Like, <laughs> like uh, true story. When when Dusty Rhodes signed on to WWE. I wasn't stoked because he was Dusty Rhodes. I didn't even know who Dusty Rhodes was. I was just excited to have a fat guy as a face. Is <laughs> he like, all right, we finally got a strong guy on the face arm. <laughs> so, yeah, anytime you go over a big guy, especially with the size di- disadvantage between uh, One Man Gang and uh, Macho Man, uh, it's it's impressive. Mm-hmm. Um. Later on, on an episode of WWF Superstars of Wrestling, uh, before they just shortened it to Superstars, because I think there was a, a dispute in terms of the title. Uh, mm. Ted DiBiase and Andre the Giant attacked Savage, challenging him to a match, uh, or challenging him and a partner of his choosing to a tag team match. Uh, Savage would choose the one and only Hulk Hogan, who was returning from his filming of uh, No Holds Barred. Uh, and the match was set up for the first ever SummerSlam in 1988. Where both teams officially debuted their new na- their team names, the Mega Powers versus the Mega Bucks. Indeed, and a special guest ref was made for this. Uh, <laughs> yes, and keep none the other- order. Yep, none other than Jesse the Body Ventura, uh, which is interesting because uh, over the years, of course, Ventura uh, was no fan of the Hulkster, uh, but at no. the same t- but at the same time, 
he was a huge fan of the Macho Man, so it was very easy to trust him to, to call this thing down the middle, surprisingly. Mm. Because he had equal love and disdain for the team. Indeed. And uh, it, things looked well enough until one day, on a, the Brother Love show, if I'm not mistaken, he would show up uh, for an interview, and to which uh, Ted DiBiase showed up and said, Now, I expect you. Now, I can trust you. And then he gives him a $100 bill. <laughs> And I know that when the time comes, gives him another $100 bill, <laughs> that you will be the one to call it right down the middle. Gives him five $100 bills. Am I right? And Jesse <laughs> looks at the money, looks at Ted, looks at the money, puts the money in his pocket, just smiles, fills and nods, and shakes his hand. <laughs> now, of course, this would all be for naught, because they would lose that match, wouldn't they? Uh, the Mega Bucks. <laughs> so and that was what eight hundred dollars that he threw out the, the window. Indeed, and this set a pretty interesting pre- precedent as far as refs go, because mm-hmm. he like Hogan pins the pins uh, Ted. He counts one very slowly, two, and then just keeps his hand up there. And then Macho Man just walks in, grabs his hand, slams it down, and that's three. <laughs> yeah. Now. You know, Jesse could have just as easily disqualified Macho Man for putting his hands on a referee, but no, it stood. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, boy. But, you know, that was a memorable match because, you know, Hogan and Macho Man, they had the secret weapon. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Go check out the Hulk Hogan episode and find out what that was, folks. And also, interestingly, was this is one of the few times where Elizabeth would get herself involved uh, in the match as well because how how did they win this match, Malcolm? Oh, okay, well, I'll tell them right now then. Uh, well, she gets up on the apron. Andre and Ted DiBiase are like, hey, what are you doing? What? And then she proceeds to take off her skirt. Yep. Showing off the r- yellow, well, no, just the red undies with the yellow dress. To which uh, both Andre and Ted are stunned because heels never get women, I guess. But it's- <laughs> <laughs> They've never considered a naked woman, Malcolm. Oh, it's like, oh, so much. And... It's kind of funny because compared to like the, especially the Attitude Era, the '90s, this is really <laughs> nothing for skin. But just seeing underwear is just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, and uh, they're distracted. Uh, they jump both of the guys, knocking Andre to the side. We get a mix of an elbow and uh, the leg drop, and that's it for Ted. Yep. Ah, uh, good stuff. Good <laughs> main event too. Yeah, yeah, great stuff. Um. And, however, despite still being the WWF champion, Macho Man continues to share the height of his popularity with the Hulkster, uh, entering in a new tag feud with the Twin Towers, uh, a.k.a. the Big Boss Man and Akeem, as you mentioned, the former one-man gang. Never forget, Joe. <laughs> Never forget. Uh, <laughs> that's funnier, because it's the Twin Towers. Uh, <laughs> even though they were on top of the war, welcome. Uh, tensions quickly grew between the Mega Powers as Hogan and Elizabeth grew friendlier with each other. Uh, at Survivor Series of 1988, the Mega Powers celebrated her team's victory over the Twin Towers, and Macho Man was visibly annoyed by Hogan's affection for Elizabeth. Uh, and of course, Jesse Ventura doesn't make things any better uh, by fanning the flames, by pointing, pointing it out explicitly to the Macho Man in his interview. He's like, hey, what's up with Elizabeth and, my, and Hulk Hogan? Uh, because that's what Jesse Ventura does. Indeed, and it- just the build. I still consider this the best storyline in WWE history. Just it was so you had to really pay attention to it because Grant because Macho Man was selling it 
fantastically. Like it would just be sometimes a sideways glance, just seeing like Hogan hoist Elizabeth on his shoulder, flexing. (laughs) Which, by the way, in in retrospect, yeah, he was kind of being creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like what are you doing, dude? (laughs) It's my wife, dude. Come on. But, yeah, and it would be a sideways glance. It would be an act of annoyance. Uh, by the way, uh, that match they had at Survivor Series was li- was literally the first WWE pay-per-view I ever checked out. <laughs> uh, and uh, I loved, uh, even though it was, like, once again, Hogan saving Savage, I thought it was pretty cool that Macho Man, like, took this onslaught the entire time. Still eliminated a couple of guys by himself while Hogan was handcuffed on the outside <laughs> and hung on long enough for you know, to tag and now escaped Hogan as Hogan came and took care of the dreaded Haku. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and uh, we the Royal Rumble. Which uh, did you have anything prepared for that? Of course not. All right. Things would only get things would only get worse at the Royal Rumble in 1989 uh, when Hogan accidentally eliminates the Macho Man from the match when he was tangled up with Bad News Brown, uh, with whom Savage was already briefly feuding a little bit. The interesting about the thing about this match, or, or or the Royal Rumble match, is that was there a reward for this match? What was the point of this match if the, the champion is involved in it? No, just the honor of winning the match. <laughs> okay, that's what I figured. Because I was like, okay, <laughs> it's like, why is he in the match if he's a champion? I, I, if I remember correctly, it wasn't until Yokozuna won the Rumble that the winner got the shot at the title at WrestleMania. Okay. Right. Used, it used to be just for shits and giggles, essentially. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, I did something. <laughs> uh, man. Uh, in any case, though, Elizabeth was able to broker a truce between the Mega Powers following the uh, following the Royal Rumble. Uh, but it was all for naught because this uneasy alliance would finally meet its end less than a month later on the February 2nd, 1989 episode of Main Event following a tag match against the Twin Towers. Uh, when Akeem would throw Savage out of the ring and straight into Elizabeth and knocked her out. None other than a concerned Hulk Hogan would carry her backstage and out of danger, uh, leaving Macho Man to fend for himself for for quite a while. Uh, Once again, really weird, because Hogan picks her up, and uh, he's like, oh no, I gotta go back, and he's walking, and and Macho Man's in the background, like, Hulk, where are you going? (laughs) I know, Uh, and you know, he gets backstage with Elizabeth, and she comes to, and and she's basically like, what are you doing back here? Get your ass back over there, (laughs) go help Macho Man, what are you doing? You left him with the twin freaking towers. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, uh, yeah, he he, he returns to the match, and, you know, Macho Man is furious at Hogan, so he slaps him in the face, uh, and when Hogan calls for the tag, and he just storms away with his title, um, and Hogan, of course, you know, being Hogan, would go on to win the match all by himself. Yeah, that's uh, bullshit. I, <laughs> <laughs> I did not know he won the match until I looked it up. Until the network came out, I was like, he still won that, <laughs> overcoming the odds. Oh uh, god! And so you know, Hogan returns backstage, uh, and Macho Man is already yelling at Elizabeth about how he was, you know, tired of her and Hulk Hogan taking all the spotlight. Uh, and then when he sees Hogan, uh, he accuses him of trying to steal Elizabeth, attacks him with his title, and officially sends or officially ends their partnership and turning turns heel for the first time since 1987. Malcolm. Indeed, and that quite memorable uh, scene in the back where Elizabeth's on a gurney, <laughs> and they're they're like fighting over it, and there's like medicine and needles like all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, Macho Man would later cut this amazing promo on Hulk Hogan 
just basically going over like the entire history of their of the relationship and the feud. Mm-hmm. You could, if, if you actually go back to WWE 2K14, I believe it go, it it shows this like sort of as a cutscene for the WrestleMania Five match where you get to see this in video game form. And it has my favorite quote. And this just like made this match seem like so legendary to me when I was a little kid. And he's like, Hogan, I hate your guts. And I'm going to spread those all over the ring at WrestleMania 5. <laughs> and I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, oh, God. But yeah, and I remember seeing a commercial for the matchup when I was a kid. And I was huge into Godzilla. And to me, this seemed like Godzilla versus King Kong to me. So I had to tune in. Yeah, and you know, as they're building this match uh, towards, you know, you know, building towards uh, WrestleMania Five, uh, Savage uh, would would show what was clearly doctored footage <laughs> and very out of context footage of Hogan supposedly <laughs> lusting after Elizabeth. You know, and Hogan was very easily able to debunk it uh, every time because it's like, what's going on? It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, and on top of this, speculation was running rampant on which corner Elizabeth would occupy during the match uh, until she finally decided on a neutral corner. This is, like, the closest I've come to disliking the Elizabeth character. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, what? I'll I'll stand in both corners. How's that going to (laughs) work? Also, why? You've been with Macho Man for way longer. It's like, you might might as well have just made her the special guest ref. I know. (laughs) Oh, man. She didn't so, last too long in the match, though. No, she did not. Uh, you know, the match itself was about 18 minutes. Uh, a lot of back and forth where both men got a chance to be dominant for several stretches. Uh, and, you know, Elizabeth, of course, played her role, uh, trying to offer support to both men, despite being in the neutral corner. Uh, until at one point where she tries, where she prevents Hogan from, you know, ramming Savage into the ring post outside the ring. Uh, she was eventually ejected uh, by, <laughs> by referee Dave, Dave Hebner. Uh, allowing the match to continue un, un, unabated, I guess. Indeed. A uh, little interesting point. If you uh, watch this match, you may have noticed, Joe, that Macho Man's elbow is pretty heavily taped. Yeah? Uh, the reason for that is, scarily enough, uh, he got like this major infection in there, which they had to drain quite a lot of fluid from there. In fact, it was so bad that there was even talk that he'd lose an arm. Whoa, okay. I, I did this did not come up in my research. Oh, yeah. Uh, this, you can read about, there, there was the, this I actually read in the Hulk Hogan uh, autobiography. But it, I, I, I believe it just because it's kind of weird how heavily taped, like, he never taped it up like that ever again. Yeah. And, but, yeah, he, like, he got a drain the night before and he came and wrestled. Mm. Oh, by the way, uh, the, those notes were in full effect for this match too. It's like, oh, good. What's it? What's move number ninety-one? <laughs> uh, and, and good thing because it's an excellent match. Indeed, uh, I, I kick out of the elbow. Yes, and fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does indeed kick it out of the elbow near the end of the match. He hooks out the way he does. You know, slaps him with the big boot, drops the leg, and boom, Hogan reclaims the title. Uh, yeah, which is sadly how he does every matchup. But you know, it was like a. It was a major event, and oh, and, and what a main event this was yeah. for WrestleMania Five. Yeah, and it was the right time to end the reign, I guess. I mean, it was he had the title for a year, uh, three hundred seventy-one days. Uh, so it's not like he was being buried. 
Yeah, he got it at WrestleMania, then he lost it at the next WrestleMania. That's pretty good. <laughs> it's perfectly fine. <laughs> I'll take that every time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was excellent match. It's still one of my favorite matches to watch. Mm-hmm. Match, but yeah. And uh, still annoys me that he kicks out of the elbow. Oh, <laughs> the ending to this broadcast, one of my favorite endings. Because, uh, once again, Jesse Ventura on commentary. And he goes over the ending is where Hogan drops the leg and covers him. Drops the big leg, pulling the tights to win. <laughs> and then uh, Gorilla Monsoon, who I guess missed it, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Hogan cheated? Is that what we're going with? <laughs> uh, but great match, great match. Yeah, a lot of fun to watch. Um, so, of course, following the events of WrestleMania Five, Macho Man dumps Elizabeth as his manager. And rightfully so. Instead <laughs> <laughs> of pulling the services of Sensational Sherry. Uh, oh, scary yeah. Sherry. She's, she's great. I love Sherry. I love Sherry, too. She, she was, <laughs> I love this duo. They were amazing together. Yeah. Um, and he still continued to feud uh, with Hogan by way of the just-released No Holds Barred movie. Uh, with the villain Zeus invading WWF to get revenge on Hogan in real life because because wrestling, I guess. Uh, and you, people can make fun of this all, all you want. I would still argue this is the best use of a quote-unquote celebrity or movie star ever in WWE. Because, <laughs> you know, t- say what you will about Tiny Zeus Lister. He, he played this role to perfection. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, I, I mean, the, the motivation is hilarious to me. It's like, <laughs> oh, you beat me in this fi- piece of fiction, and now I'm going to beat you up in real life. What? <laughs> <laughs> it was like, hey, Hogan made that movie just so he'd beat me. It's a dude. <laughs> <laughs> you auditioned for the role. <laughs> yeah, they, they would wrestle at SummerSlam of that year. Mm-hmm. He, he, he would team up with Macho Man. Uh, to, to to against Hogan and Brutus Beefcake at, at you know SummerSlam '89, uh, and the the hope was, believe it or not, that uh, Zeus would be so amazing that they would be they would have a WrestleMania one on one at WrestleMania six, mm-hmm. which thank God didn't happen. No, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Macho Man was there mainly to help Zeus through the match, and. Uh, they would have that match there, and then since uh, the movie bombed like it did, they they had the <laughs> interesting uh, interesting deal where if you bought the pay if you bought the movie on uh, pay per view, you would it would end with this match, which was uh, Hogan and Savage versus Hogan and Beefcake inside a steel cage. That was actually a separate match uh, later that year. Mm. Yeah, like first the first match they wrestled together uh, was at SummerSlam. Uh, which, of, which, of course, was won by Hogan, because why would you put the villain over <laughs> in this particular instance? Uh, Elizabeth also made a rare a post-WrestleMania 5 appearance to manage Hogan and Beefcake, at one point tripping Sherry in a rare instance of her physically interfering in a match. The, the heartbreaking part of this match, for those of you who are hoping for uh, a reunion of any kind in this matchup, as soon as uh, Elizabeth gets in the ring, like Macho Man takes a swipe at her, like, tries to punch her in the face I'm like okay so much for that <laughs> uh, oh is this where uh, macho man became the macho king or is that later yeah i mean go ahead and just take over the whole podcast Malcolm. Oh, i'm sorry it's, macho <laughs> man. it's, it's literally my next point um <laughs> you know before the two teams would have their rematch later that year he did adopt the new moniker as the macho king after taking the king of the ring title from hacksaw jim duggan who had in turn taken the crown from aku uh, it's it's weird it was like a on, it was like a lesser talked about fourth belt. Yeah, it was 
It was very weird because I mean, it was, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, what's the point of the tournament in June if we could just pass it around anyway? Uh, it's like you'd win it and you'd be, you had to dress like a king for the house. <laughs> but of course, Macho Man, being Macho Man, he took this to a whole other thing and oh, had, God, had a coronation yes. ceremony that was conducted by the genius Danny Puffo. Uh, all the heels were there. <laughs> they were all there to, to see him coronated uh, and, and and see Queen Sherry coronated as well. Uh, so it was, a, it was a big thing and it was real great. My my favorite part was the million dollar man was there. It was so cool seeing all the heels acting like they were this part of the society. Because like Ted DiBiase comes <laughs> up, who, and these two had feuded for like ever. He's like, hey, for any Mister King King Macho Man, I have a gift for thy king, and he like actually presents him <laughs> with the, the royal scepter. scepter. Yes, <laughs> millions poured in the scepter, which would actually play a significant part in. Uh, Later feuds for the Macho King. So, yeah, yeah, it was a very handy weapon. Indeed. And, uh, <laughs> oh, God. And the genius is just perfect. I pronounce you the Macho King. <laughs> Randy Savage. <laughs> oh, oh, and what I loved uh, about the from now on, like anytime Macho Man and Sherry came to the ring, they would have to be carried by all these jobbers <laughs> yeah. on this gigantic throne. <laughs> Oh, it was great. Oh, they, they were so, he, he was so good, Joe. <laughs> I'm sorry to continue. <laughs> anyway, this freshly established monarchy, Malcolm, would set, would team up with Zeus once again for that rematch at the No Holds Barred pay-per-view. Uh, and of course, uh, Hogan and Beefcake would once again prove triumphant uh, in that cage match, uh, which is strangely just completely unavailable on the network. Uh, oh, yeah, because, you know, you kind of have to... Like I said, it wasn't part of a pay-per-view proper. It was a yeah. pay-per-view for a movie. So Yeah, and then they just pretty much just tacked on a wrestling match at the end of it. Uh, yeah. So it's like, okay, whatever. Uh, it did pretty good for with that tactic, actually. So <laughs> kudos to them. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the next significant event here is that on February 23rd, 1990, the main event, Macho King would finally conclude his feud with Hulk Hogan after unsuccessfully challenging him for the WWF Championship. Uh, of course, Savage. <laughs> I was literally trying not to, like, bring up, oh, is this where the, this match happened? Yep, Buster Douglas was a special referee here, uh, and uh, Savage took exception to being uh, counted out, or or pinned, rather, uh, and <laughs> was immediately punched out after slapping him in the face, basically. Uh, fun, fun fact, it was supposed to be Tyson, special refereeing this uh -huh. match, but then he got knocked the F out by Buster Duck. <laughs> They're like, no, we want you instead. We don't want this job. <laughs> uh, but don't worry. Tyson will be back in WWE at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just once it all blows over. When... Mm. So what did Macho King do after this? Uh, he would begin a short feud with Dusty Rhodes, Malcolm, leading to a mixed tag match that you mentioned earlier, featuring uh, if you bo will. <laughs> both men and their respective managers. Uh, Rhodes and Sapphire, along with manager Miss Elizabeth, would defeat the Macho King and Queen Sherry in a very forgettable match. <laughs> very, very forgettable, and it begs the question, you know, it's one of those, like, I could write a book about question questionable WrestleMania booking decisions. You had Dusty freaking Rhodes and the Macho Man. Why not just do a one-on-one? -on -one? -on was like, was Macho know. Man... Yeah, was Macho Man and Hogan really that nervous that they would steal the show as much? <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah. He, he would get his win back, at least, in, in a singles match at SummerSlam 1990 uh, later that year. So there's that. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> you remember that? Because, <laughs> oh, you know, Ted DiBiase would start his feud with uh, Dusty Rhodes for doing the heelish act of giving a poor woman money. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and Macho Man would just say, well, whatever, and just jump Dusty from behind and hit an elbow, and that was it. <laughs> Man. <laughs> Oh, sad. But he got his win back. That's the important thing. <laughs> yep. Uh, later that year, Savage would begin a feud with new WWF champion. Uh, of course, WrestleMania 6 had just happened. Uh, so that was Ultimate Warrior. And Ooh. things heated up at the 1991 Royal Rumble pay-per-view. Uh, when Warrior and Sergeant Slaughter were having a title match that night, uh, Slaughter had promised the Macho King first dibs on a title match if he won. Uh, meanwhile, Ultimate Warrior refused to promise the same, uh, despite Queen Sherry's very overt sexual advances. Uh, <laughs> and an outraged savage attacked the warrior before the match and interfered during, costing the warrior the title. Indeed, taking that same royal scepter that cost the Teddy Biasi millions, Joe. Millions. And cracking it right across the warrior's head during the match, allowing Slaughter to get the pin. By the way, uh, small nitpick, but warrior not, not agreeing to face the Macho Man, not really a face decision, isn't it? Well, I mean, the way, but I mean, you, you don't, I mean, I don't know. I, you can make a case here the way that you refuse to heal his heelish machinations as well. So I can see it going either way. Um, but the funny thing is that, you know, Savage and Sherry would thwart, you know, Warrior's attempts at reclaiming the title before before WrestleMania. And this instead set up a career versus career match at WrestleMania 7. Uh, Indeed. Uh, <laughs> side note, though, is that apparently Sergeant Slaughter just completely forgot about his promise to the Macho King. <laughs> and just... yeah, never did get that match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Hogan was the number one contender instead and got, you know, the title match there. Oh, uh, wait, wait. No, I, I do. I think they did address this kind of just saying that it was so personal with, because uh, keep in mind, Warrior never actually enacted his rematch clause either. Uh, uh, I, I think that the, what they said was, you know, it was so personal now that the, Ending the other guy's career meant more the more to them than the belt. I guess, so. and it's probably more, to, and probably had a lot to do with the whole Gulf War thing too. Because uh, around the time of the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania Seven, uh, you know, there were like the, the U.S. had it entered this war with with Iraq. Uh, so, I guess you know, with <laughs> with Sergeant Slaughter being an Iraqi sympathizer, uh, I guess that made more sense. But indeed, and. It was an interesting battle. It was literally the two number twos in the country, go, in the in the Fed, excuse me, <laughs> go, going head to head, like Macho Man and Warrior. It was interesting because it was like the, like I said, the two guys after Hogan in terms of popularity going to head to head, and he had to ask the question, who was going to retire? Yeah, because I mean they were both you know very popular. They were both like at the pretty much at the height of their powers in terms of talent. So it's like. Why, like who would you? Why would you end either career? Who's going to lose this thing? By the way, the like I said, the Savage's attire, the white and blue with the stars, oh, wonderful! <laughs> and it was an epic match. You could tell Macho Man planned this out from beginning to end too. Yeah, and God bless Warrior for listening to it because uh, oh, it was just written to perfection. Like I remember everything. From like Macho Man doing a crossbody, Warrior catching him, placing him on his feet, and just slapping him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and you know, at the end of the match, dude, like a whole freaking, <laughs> Randy hits him with five straight flying elbows at one point. Uh, at the end, 
and yeah. Warrior just gets right up. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> that blew my mind. But then, yeah, the end. Then uh, Warrior hits the Gorilla Press into the Splash, which is usually it, and Macho Man kicks out of that. Yeah. And Warrior starts questioning. It's like, wait, is this a sign that I'm supposed to retire? And uh, Earl, ha- and he starts to leave, and Mike possibly getting counted out. Earl's like, no, dude, did you read the script? <laughs> <laughs> but then Macho Man attacks him, but then and uh, Warrior reverses it, and then looks up to the gods and like, yes, I know now what happened. <laughs> and he hits him with a new finisher, the uh, shoulder thrust tackle, and he hits three of them. Yeah. Each one, like, one, the last one hitting Macho Man so hard that he, like, propels himself out of the ring, pulls <laughs> himself back in, and then one, two, three. Like, they made it a big point that Macho Man was killed in yeah, order to Basically, yeah. Like, no, like, after each one, he threw himself out of the ring, and yeah. he just happened to catch himself on the ropes on the third one, which allowed Warrior to just drag him to the middle of the ring and pin him. Yes, that's right. And uh, Warrior, of course, gets out of there. And which leads to an interesting part is Sherry, now realizing her meal ticket's gone. <laughs> yep. Just, just turns on him and starts kicking away at him. <laughs> yeah. And this whole time, none other than Elizabeth is in the crowd watching the match. Uh, and once Sherry starts wailing on poor Macho Man, she goes in there and, and rescues the Macho Man. Uh, and a very emotional reunion happens, Malcolm. Oh God! Yes. It's so it's so beautiful seeing the two uh, reunite that way. They're like, oh, like he like he's swiping at Elizabeth because he's just kind of huddled in a ball, just kind of like terrified of being beaten by this woman. Uh, doesn't even know that it's Elizabeth until he gets up and turns around. He's like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> She's like, "What are you doing here?" And and they just hug and like, and then he puts her on your, on the shoulder like they used to, and it's like, "Oh man, it's such a nice thing." It's like, and uh, credit to Macho Man too, because you know he's such a good actor that he can show himself thinking without having to say a word. Like he looks on the outside and he sees Sherry being like pulled out out of the arena by the referee, mm-hmm. and he looks at Elizabeth, looks to Sherry, and you can see him putting two to two together that you know Elizabeth just saved him. Yeah. And, like, everyone's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then they embrace, and the place just explodes. Yeah. And, you know, Elizabeth does the thing which she always did was to, you know, pull the ropes so that Macho Man can get in. And he's like, nope. I'm mm. This time, you. It's, it's you. You get out. <laughs> like, I'll do this for you for once. And this is one of those great showing the crowd shots, just, like, in a sense, like, you know, people's faces after Lesnar and Taker. Seeing going to the crowd and all everyone is crying. That's how much this uh, relationship meant to the WWE. He, that, that's how much people cared, and there were like there were people crying seeing these guys yeah. reunited again for the first time. Yeah, and you know, because even even though you know Macho Man had just lost his career, like no one was sad about it because of this reunion. Indeed, and by the way, this took a gigantic dump on the rest of the night because nothing was going to touch it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like uh, Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Um, so just really beautiful, beautiful storytelling that you know, like for all those crap that wrestling can get for its corny storylines a lot of the time. Like I think this is one of the more beautiful, beautifully told things uh, in wrestling. Indeed, it was just spectacular, and. Uh, you know, the reason as far as Macho Man losing, from what I heard, maybe you heard different in your research, was Macho Man and Elizabeth wanted to try having kids. I did not come across that. Ah. It, I mean, putting two and two together, it's, that sounds like it would be a very last-ditch effort to, 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 I guess, 
defibrillate what was a failing marriage at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because uh, we'll get into that a little later. But yeah. But, yeah, I mean, but, yeah, it's just a terrific story to, uh, telling, I think. Like, the culmination of a year-plus-long story where, or two-year story, basically, uh, where he dumped her <laughs> and picked up Sensational Sherry instead uh, and just kind of banished her, I guess. Mm. And to see them two years later reunite, it's really cool. Really cool. Oh, God, yeah. It's, it's, it was a, to say it's a WrestleMania moment is actually an understatement in this case. Mm-hmm. All right, so what did he do after this, Joe? Well, although he was banished from the ring, Savage still maintained a presence by joining, joining Vince McMahon on commentary uh, and returning to his original Macho Man persona. Uh, months after WrestleMania 7, during a June taping of WF Superstars, he would propose to Elizabeth, and the two would be wed at SummerSlam 1991, and the marriage dubbed a match made in heaven. Yeah. By the way, did you ever see this broadcast on Superstars? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I had to look it up, because uh, unfortunately I don't have old episodes of Superstars on the network. In time, Joe. But, uh, oh my god. Vince can't allow us, really has no faith in us to put two and two together. No, he does not. No, because the entire episode, and I'm talking about, like, the jobber matches in the beginning, and it was like, hey, Marshallman, there's a rumor that you're going to propose today. Oh, fucking hey, Vince, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, it's it's bad. <laughs> but, um, yeah, ironically, of course, you know, the two had been married since 1984, so. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was hilarious. Uh, tragically, though, I guess their real-life marriage was already falling apart, as you kind of mentioned with them trying to get kids or whatever. Uh, because the two would be divorced by the end of 1992. Uh, so, anyway, because this is professional wrestling, though, bring it back into that world, uh, the wedding reception would be crashed by Jake the Snake Roberts and The Undertaker, which was revenge for Roberts being snubbed from Macho Man's bachelor party on an episode of Primetime Wrestling. Um, Did you actually, by the way, they actually have, a, it was like a Coliseum video exclusive at the time, but they actually showed footage of the wedding reception yep yeah i looked it up on youtube and uh yeah it's so great like they're you know they're at the reception they're being congratulated by people uh they they're they're opening presents they're like oh look it's a blender (laughs) (laughs) before you get to the part you're about to get to like my favorite part is you know they're shaking hands with everyone who made it and you see bobby the brain he didn't come in (laughs) oh yeah and he's just just shaking his head He's shaking his head like Macho Man died or something. (laughs) And he shakes Macho Man's hand and walks past him. And then you see Macho Man lean over to to someone off camera. Hey, throw this guy out. (laughs) 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 Oh, God, I love it. Uh, But but what happened, Joe? Well, as they're opening gifts, uh, Elizabeth opens a particularly large gift. uh, And she she looks inside, she screams. And what pops up but a Cobra Malcolm. (gasps) And in comes in the aforementioned Jake the Snake Roberts and the Undertaker, and they just start crashing the party. Oh, yeah. And, because uh, they're terrible villains. They're terrible. This was pretty extreme. Yeah, they, they, they enter this feud with, with, Jake's, with Jake Roberts, and man, this is one of the most vicious like feuds I've seen or, or heard about. First of all, they're like, you get once again. Keep in mind what I said about Elizabeth, how she was this symbol of dignity and beauty, and everyone loving her. And then cut to now in Jake the Snake Mach, Jake the Snake Macho Man, Jake the <laughs> Snake Roberts is like terrorizing Macho- her. Yeah, like uh, Macho Man's unconscious. Jake has a cobra and is like sh- 
stuffing it. This is a live cobra stuffing yeah. it in her face, yeah, like calling she, her a bitch over and over again. <laughs> she, like, like she's on the floor, like on the, like she's sitting on the floor, like trying to like get away. It's like no, oh man, it's terrible, terrible, terrible. Oh, Jake Roberts, what, you, what a monster that man. Uh, oh God. It put the, those two guys over huge as being these evil <laughs> heels, which yep. sadly never got quite as pushed as hard as everyone nah. else Hogan was feuding with. But, oh, my God. And then uh, after this, listening to, like, interviews with Macho Man. And Macho Man, it's really not not expressed enough how well he could get emotion across in his uh, promos. Because he wasn't angry or furious or what you would expect a wrestler. He was actually so depressed and disappointed in himself. It's like, I'm retired. I can't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the, yeah, that's the thing is that he had been put out of, out of wrestling for good from, by the ultimate warrior wrestling. seven, there was nothing he could do about it. And of Indeed. course, and of course, Jake Roberts would take advantage of this, escorting him at every chance he could like, and, and the most, the most famous part of this feud possibly is that on an episode of superstars, he would go savage, you know, after one of his matches that he was calling, mm. calling him a, I believe a, a, a yellow, yellow bellied coward or something of the sort, uh, and eventually Macho Man would say enough's enough and went to the ring, and uh, he would be attacked, blindsided, or I won't say blindsided, but he was attacked. Did not go over very well. He was tied up in the ropes, and <laughs> and Roberts came out with a cobra and attached it firmly to his bicep, and it's like, man, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Now, keep in mind, this thing was so ridiculously big, I thought it was like a movie prop. Like, I thought it was like a robotic snake that they just brought out for this. No, that was a live freaking King Cobra. <laughs> yeah, uh, of and, course it was not, you know, it was devenomized, but that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt like hell when it bites onto your... Like, uh, Jake Roberts would talk about it on his DVD set. I'm the master of DVD set, folks. <laughs> but he would talk about, like, when, yeah, when he bit his arm, it was supposed to just, like, bite him, and then I would just take it off, and that would be that. But no, he, when he bit into the arm, he started to try to eat his arm. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's like, uh, how do we make like, this thing let go? <laughs> like, if you look at the footage, he's, like, hitting it on the head trying to and shaking it, trying to get it to let go, but it would not let go. And when... He lets go finally. That's real blood on uh, Savage's arm. Yeah. And Savage, you know, gets out of the ropes and his acting as if he's like the venom is taking effect and it's like fucking with his senses is amazing. <laughs> he starts swinging wildly and tripping and falling and Jake is just laughing at him the whole time. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and also another interesting thing on that same DVD, Malcolm, is that uh, Hogan and Roberts both said that apparently Sid Justice was supposed to be bitten originally, but... Uh, Savage was volunteered after Sid had suffered a bicep injury. Uh, mm. Yeah, because uh, originally it was like, if we go going back to that wedding reception, it was Sid Justice who came in and saved Macho Man. Mm -hmm. And going back to that promo I mentioned too, like Macho Man finishes up that sentence like, well, maybe if I can't do it, Sid Justice can do it. And this was supposed to be the launching pad for Sid Justice, the mega face, mm -hmm. which sadly fell right into the toilet. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh but this also brought an excuse to her for Vince to say, well, maybe I should bring Macho Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Macho Man had petitioned for, to be reinstated uh, by Jack Tunney. Jack Tunney would refuse. Uh, reinstate like, the Macho Man. <laughs> 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 yeah, reinstate the Macho Man. Uh, what was the chat, Malcolm? Do you have it? Do you know it? 
Yeah, it's uh, oh, it's like da da da. Reinstate the Macho Man. It's like it's uh, is I think I thought it was just reinstate the Macho Man. <laughs> yeah, you're right. There was an actual chant. Uh, here it is. Reinstatement. That's the plan. Reinstate the Macho Man. Yes. That's <laughs> right. uh, just great stuff. And you know, he was he was campaigning to to get a match at Survivor Series, which he unfortunately did not get, but. He did get reinstated in time for this Tuesday in Texas, which was, which was just a week later. Uh, and, and the matchup actually suffered because uh, that Survivor Series matchup was supposed to be Jake Roberts' team versus Sid Justice's team. Yeah. But then uh, due to Sid Justice's injury, Jake the Snake was pulled from the team. So you had this weird six-man elimination match. Mm. And you had both Macho Man and Jake the Snake Roberts uh, you know, doing promos for a pay-per-view that was next week. Yeah, which is weird, too, just to have them have two pay-per-views in a week. Yeah, it's like you got you got uh, promos for the pay-per-view during a pay-per-view. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, huh? Which sort of came off as a middle finger to the fans. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, after they have this match, uh, Savage wins the match, of course, because, yeah, you have to let, you have to let him win after everything that you've been putting him through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he continues to beat on Roberts after he wins, although... Roberts eventually regains the upper hand and delivers three DDTs to Savage. Oh, God, and they look nasty. <laughs> uh, and even at one point, slapping Elizabeth. So mega mega heel status is just confirmed for, uh, for Jake oh, Snake yeah. Roberts. The the eruption of booze when he slapped Elizabeth. Like, My goodness. lost their minds. <laughs> it, was like, it was a short match and kind of forgettable, but you know, at the same time, with the act, antics that Jake did, it, it it became very memorable. Yeah, it's it's got you know. Aside from the the Cobra, uh, I'd say this is the the height of the heel tactics uh, in the feud. So it's worth watching for that for sure. Oh yeah, it's like it's funny because looking back on it, it was a really quick feud, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. It was only a few months, but but you didn't forget. You don't no, forget it. No, you don't forget a thing like that. <laughs> Jake Roberts was incorrigible. Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> uh, the main event uh, that night was a WWF Championship match between the defending Undertaker and Hulk Hogan, uh, and of course, as we mentioned this, you know, the Undertaker show a couple weeks ago, uh, there was a gaggle of shenanigans that included Ric Flair being thrown into Jack Tunney and knocking him out. Uh, Hulk Hogan used the ashes in the urn to win, uh, and Jack Tunney again. Uh, Saying this is this will not do, uh, vacates the title again uh, and makes it the prize for the 1992 Royal Rumble uh, the following month, mm. which is great because uh, you know the, the feud with uh, with Savage and Roberts would continue though. Uh, there's no reason to stop the feud just because there's no. the Royal Rumble. Uh, you can't have it end like that. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so Macho Man, of course, gets the upper hand here as well, uh, and eventually eliminating Jake Snake. Uh, before being eliminated by Ric Flair and Sid Justice uh, near the very end. Mm. Uh, when Just Savage and Roberts would finally end their feud, it would be at Saturday Night's main event on oh, February 8th, 1992, as Savage was victorious yet again. Uh, <laughs> Roberts, though, planned on ambushing Savage and Elizabeth after the match, and was finally stopped by The Undertaker before he could bash in Elizabeth with the chair. <sighs> Jesus Christ, Jake! <laughs> when even the Undertaker's like, "Hey, man, <laughs> you're going Dude. too far." Uh, yeah, Dark Side and Satan and all that, but come on, <laughs> we gotta draw a line somewhere. Yeah, and that view would continue over in our Undertaker episode. <laughs> yeah, so if you want to see where that ended up, by all means, head over to the Undertaker episode uh, after this. 
Ah, man. But after that ended, Ric Flair did not waste any time in being the next person to agitate the Macho Man, saying that he, quote, quote, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, knew Elizabeth before Savage ever did. God, Uh, this feud. (laughs) Man, just a terrible year for Macho Man's pride. (laughs) Uh, And Flair would prove... Uh, that he knew Elizabeth, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, uh, by showing savage pictures of him with Elizabeth, which Macho Man hilariously did not recognize as Flair just superimposing himself over pics of him and his Elizabeth. It's like, that's clearly you and Elizabeth on vacation that he just pasted himself over. Uh, this feud also <laughs> rem- memorable, because this is where we would get your Twitter uh, handle for the longest, or your Twitter picture for the longest time. Which Macho one? Man. Macho Man contemplating life. Remember that? One? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, I pulled that picture from uh, WWE 2K14. It was one of the favorite things. Like every time I saw it, I, I would lose my mind. It was great because he's dressed in all denim. He's got the denim shirt and the, den- and the super jean jeans and the and the hat, the shoes, and he's just contemplating life uh, near the ocean. It was hilarious. Yeah, the story essentially was Macho Man was containing his rage, which in hindsight, yeah, you didn't see him, like, explode until this match. Yeah. At, at the same time, it's the Macho Man Randy Savage versus Ric Flair for the first time ever. It didn't need this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but either way, that was what the setup was for their match, for their title match, WWF Championship match over at WrestleMania 8. Uh Easily the match of the night. Yeah, it suffers a double whammy of not being the Flair Hogan match everyone actually wanted. Uh, yeah, what the hell? <laughs> and 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 also being four matches under the Sid Hogan match that happened instead. Uh, so very annoying in terms of placement for the match and build uh, in terms of its importance. But unsurprisingly, a Flair Savage match is still a damn good match, isn't it, Malcolm? Oh God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly better than the eventual Flair Hogan match that did happen. Uh, about a year or so later, or a couple years later. Uh, so I would say this is a very fine, uh, very fine compensation package. Oh yeah, sorry of the match. Ma- Ric Flair attacks the leg of Macho Man, and kudos to him. This is the best selling for an attack on the leg. This is what you do. <laughs> yeah. You, if someone attacks your leg, you you sell it until you go through the freaking uh, backstage curtain. You you don't like. Sell it for two seconds and then, like, walk around for a bit, and then you're dr- throwing drop kicks and freaking uh, <laughs> yeah. leg sweeps and stuff. It's like, no, your legs hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it told a good story, and th- that, you know, Macho Man was so obsessed for re- revenge that, you know, really all he needed to do to get revenge on Flair was just take the belt. Yeah. And he was willing to do anything for it, even just even cheat. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, which is what he did, pulling the tights. <laughs> Showing off Ric Flair's ass and taking the belt. <laughs> yep. Uh, and he was able to do this despite Mr. Perfect's blatant interference as well. Uh, oh, Fl- Perfect was a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Another interesting thing, too, is that Elizabeth comes out for the last few minutes of the match. Uh, and is I thought was weird is that, you know, she's warned by WWF officials uh, and being told to leave for some reason, despite Mr. Perfect being able to stay, despite his blatant interference in the match. It's like, what? <laughs> so I found that was weird. It's, uh, it's been 20 years. I think she has a manager's license. <laughs> yeah, I think she's okay to be there. Uh, what I did find funny, though, is that among those officials that were trying to get her to go back uh, to the dressing area was that one of them was a very young Shane McMahon. I don't know if you noticed that, Malcolm. Yeah, yeah. He's like, if you look back, you can actually see little snippets of like Shane coming out as well as uh, various other people, too. But yeah. <laughs> so it was fun to see that. 
Um, Shane O'Mac. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, it was around this time that Savage and Elizabeth had separated, uh, and she taped her final WWF appearance at a UK event in April of 1992. Uh, her appearance aired during primetime wrestling in June as the Flair Savage match or feud uh, continued, and the two would finally divorce in September. Uh, which the WWF strangely acknowledged by publishing a statement in WWF magazine from uh, from Randy, uh, confirming the separation and thanking their, the fans for their support of the two. Uh, Hence being the most depressing magazine in the history of ever. My God. <laughs> yeah, uh, and yeah, like it's very weird for like WWF to ever acknowledge uh, something as like not kayfabe or whatever. Yeah, and. Which, uh, even though they had been married that entire time, you know, for the longest time, I thought they were married for, like, one year. <laughs> yeah, like, at SummerSlam the year before, I thought, I thought that like, was very recent. Yeah, I know, it's like, but it was, but they're the perfect couple, no. You kind of crushed me, Joe, I'll admit. Yeah, yeah, it's, it sucks, because, I mean, they were so, like, they're so, I guess, so linked to each other, it's, it's, it's so, like, the bond is ridiculous. Hmm. So what did Macho Man do after this? Well, following his feud of flair, Savage got tangled up with the Ultimate Warrior once again uh, after he was declared the number one contender for Macho Man's title. Uh, the two would have a rematch of the WrestleMania 7 bout uh, at SummerSlam of 1992, a match won by Warrior via countout uh, that allowed Macho Man to retain his title. Of course, this countout was a result of interference from Flair and Mr. Perfect, with Warrior helping an injured Savage backstage afterwards. This allowed the two to put their differences aside, form the Ultimate Maniacs. Uh, I don't remember that, Malcolm. I do, and uh, one thing, going back on the SummerSlam deal, you know what I didn't get? The thing I didn't get about that, the whole story of the match was Flair and Perfect made it sound like Warrior had signed on with Mr. Perfect to get his consulting, <laughs> or that one of them did. Like, uh-huh. somebody, the joke was, the thing was somebody was turning heel and getting Mr. Perfect, but then... You would see Macho Man, excuse me, you'd see uh, Flair and uh, Perfect attack both of them during a match and uh, just beat them up, revealing nothing. That was not the case. But when you watch the pay-per-view, they say, like, oh, what side is Mr. Perfect on? He already announced it, dickhead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, yeah, that's inconsistent, but whatever. But the Ultimate Maniacs, I remember... I remember the promos that, as they were amazing, and I was so stoked for this because for me this was my this was like Mega Powers 2.0, and I I was digging it. I was loving like like Macho Man gave him his sunglasses so he could see the madness or whatever. <laughs> and War I forget what Warrior, but Warrior gave him something so they each had a piece of each other, and. I remember also a match at Saturday Night's main event, which I assume you're about to touch on. Yeah. Right, but, but first, before we get to all that, okay. Savage did lose his title uh, in a September episode of uh, Primetime Wrestling Ooh. to Ric Flair. Uh, one of the very few times that the title changed hands at freaking Primetime Wrestling, by the way, uh, following overwhelming interference from Mr. Perfect and Razor Ramon. Uh, oh, the hell so, was his problem, Jesus? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, soon after losing the title, uh, he would, you know, con- he would for real team up with, the- with Warrior. Uh, become the Ultimate Maniacs. They would face Money, Inc. Ted DiBiase in IRS. Erwin R. Scheister. Uh, file your taxes if you haven't done that yet, by the way. In <laughs> uh, a tag team championship match on the November 8th, 1992 episode of Saturday Night's Main Event. Uh, which they won by countout, but obviously not with the titles. Ooh. Boo Earns. Now, 
I was the... saying Boo Earns. <laughs> <laughs> now, the Ultimate Maniacs were supposed to team up against Flair and Razor Ramon at Survivor Series 1992, but Warriors real-life firing weeks before the show forced Savage to choose Mr. Perfect as his replacement. How quick is that Warrior show we're going to do eventually going to be? <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty quick, pretty quick. Uh, oh, don't plan around the Warrior, folks. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Uh, now, Mr. Perfect scoffed uh, originally at partnering against Flair since they were associates, of course, but he changed his mind when Bobby Heenan implies that, hey, he probably couldn't wrestle as well as he used to anyway. <laughs> so he's like, well, I've got to prove that wrong. So the pair would defeat Flair and Razor Ramon uh, at Survivor Series 1992. That uh, that primetime wrestling, such it was such, you know... the. They only had one week to rebook the main event, so they had to do the entire storyline on that show. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's unprecedented. Oh gosh! <laughs> but at uh, you know, Macho Man would get his revenge there, or uh, at, at a Survivor Series. And, and by the way, in what was uh, the first Survivor Series that re- didn't feature elimination matches? Mm-hmm. All right. But after this, what did Macho Man do, Joe? Well, the calendar flips to 1993, Malcolm, and all of a sudden, with the launch of Monday Night Raw, the Macho Man's time in WWF was suddenly numbered as he'd been put on commentator duty again by Vince McMahon, and his matches quickly became more sporadic. Aside from matches on Raw against the likes of Doink the Clown and Repo Man, uh, Macho Man entered the 93 Royal Rumble match, being the last person eliminated by the winner, Yokozuna. Mm. Now, Macho Man would not wrestle again on pay-per-view until Survivor Series 1993, so... Ten months later, uh, substituting for Mr. Perfect on on Razor Ramon's team for a reason I can't quite figure out. Uh, Mm. In my research, I couldn't quite (laughs) pull up the reason for why uh, Mr. Perfect was out of that match. But he was in there, uh, and after eliminating Diesel with an elbow drop, he was eliminated by IRS at the roll-up. No big deal. Uh, He would enter the 1994 Royal Rumble, where he was eliminated in just a few minutes after entering at number 11. People were not happy about that either, by the way. No, they were not. (laughs) It's a Daniel Bryan situation. Uh, (laughs) Very much so, yes. (laughs) Macho Man's final WWF pay-per-view as a competitor would be WrestleMania 10, where he defeated Crush in a Falls Count Anywhere match. This match is weird because the rules were weird. You know, you you hear Falls Count Anywhere and you just think, oh, you could just pin the guy outside and it's a regular, otherwise a regular match. But... Here, the loser still had 60 seconds to return to the ring to negate the pinfall and continue the match somehow. Uh, So both men scored pinfalls and returned to the ring in time to negate the other guy's pin. Savage finally scored the decisive pin by tying up Crush's legs to ensure victory. Uh, So, very, very strange match. Indeed. Uh, I remember about this promo is like Crush and Macho Man used to be good friends until... He, Macho Man encouraged him to go for the title that was being held by Yokozuna, and Yokozuna crushed his ribs. <laughs> uh, Crush would then blame Macho Man for it, because how dare he try to encourage him to go for the world title. <laughs> yeah, what a terrible friend. <laughs> and he turned on him and sided with Mr. Fuji and Yokozuna. Macho Man would then get his own shot at the title, and which he had Yokozuna, he hit the elbow on Yokozuna, covered him, but then Crush came down to cause the DQ. And my favorite part about this whole feud, Joe, was the this promo he cut like the Monday, the next Raw after, where he was talking about, let me tell you something, I had Yokozuna beat, all right? He was <laughs> lifeless. I could have been the world champ, 
the champion of the world, I may never get another shot at the world title and how right he was when he said that. that and that's down the toilet because of Crush. And he made it seem like this big, huge deal that he lost this opportunity, which, once again, you don't hear anymore from John Cena or guys <laughs> like that. It's like, oh, you win some, you lose some. No, <laughs> he made it seem like this big, traumatic event. So I actually cared about this match a little bit, even though you're right. It was kind of, uh. <laughs> Yeah, very weird. Yeah, and this was his last official match, and despite the fact that, you know, he tore the house down with uh, Ric Flair at eight, and, uh, you know, Hogan was older and still getting opportunities in the WWE, you know, Macho Vince, for whatever reason, didn't want to use Macho Man. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and uh, Lanny Poffo, uh, just out of curiosity, you have the same DVD set too, right? I do not. Oh, okay, well. Poffo said that Macho Man actually had this whole idea about winning the title one more time and then dropping it to Shawn Michaels, saying that he saw the world in him. But Vince said once again, no, you're too old. It, your time's <laughs> over. Very hypocritical because he was still trying to get Hogan. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Very. Yeah. I don't know what's up with Vince's thinking there, but once we get into the later part of his career, maybe he wasn't totally wrong <laughs> in terms of Randy Savage. Hmm. Well, yeah, that's debatable, but what, <laughs> from this point, what does Macho Man do, Joe? Well, he's still doing commentary. Uh, he's still doing commentary for King of the Ring in 1994 and made a final pay-per-view appearance at SummerSlam 94 as Master of Ceremonies. Uh, after a few final token appearances on Raw in October of 94, his contract with WWF had expired. And on the November 7th, 94 episode of Raw, Vince McMahon confirms on the air that the two sides couldn't reach an agreement and wished what Macho Man good luck. Mm. Now, thankfully, these 22 or so months of sparse in-ring time with Randy Savage were alleviated by the beginning of a very memorable endorsement deal with Slim Jim, exposing whole new audiences to the Macho Man's zaniness as he urged them to snap into a Slim Jim. Step into it! <laughs> Art thou bored! Uh, <laughs> well, and, of course, you know, Slim Jim, you know, they tried cycling a few other wrestlers into the mix. It wasn't just uh, Randy Savage, but none resonated more than the Macho Man. He landed far more commercials for the company uh, than anybody else. And Gotta have beef, gotta have spice! <laughs> <laughs> Those commercials are so, so good. They were, they, and they made Slim Jim a lot of money, and Macho Man, to his credit, he would even... He actually would make outfits specifically for the commercial and then wear it to the wrestling shows. <laughs> Yeah, and, and of course, you know, like, like of course, everybody in wrestling knew who the Macho Man was, but, you know, he, these commercials didn't just show on wrestling, uh, so anybody watching TV anywhere uh, suddenly knew who the Macho Man was as well. Indeed, and uh, he, while a lot of people were really annoyed with Macho Man's perfectionism, uh, they loved it. When you take that attitude on a, on a movie set or a commercial set, where he's like, yeah, okay, well, let's do that again. You got me all day. And he, like, they love that. They're like, oh, man, <laughs> this guy really wants to work. Awesome. <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, like, it's hard to think, it's hard for me to think about Slim Jim now. Like, even seeing the red and yellow colors on the wrapper now and not think of Macho Man. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so, I mean, even though he wasn't wrestling nearly as much anymore, uh, his exposure was as high as ever. So, I guess, hmm. so, it was in total... Total loss there in the Macho Man department for Macho Man fans. There's no such thing as a total loss in the Macho Man department, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So 
After this, what else did he do? Well, he's out of the WWF now, Malcolm. Oh, so, boy. So, Where could he possibly go? Well, several months after Hulk Hogan made waves by signing with World Championship Wrestling, the macho man Randy Savage would make his WCW debut on the December 3rd, 1994 episode of WCW Saturday Night, just before Starcade, cutting a promo and setting his sights on Hulk Hogan. <laughs> now, despite this, he rescues Hogan from the three, three faces of fear, beginning a brief feud with Avalanche, uh, the former Earthquake, as you knew him in WWF. Uh... The Mega Powers are also briefly reunited as the Monster Maniacs on the January 25th, 1995 episode of Clash of Champions against Kevin Sullivan and the Butcher. Uh, see, the, the, <laughs> this is a hilarious thing, too, because uh, after the match, Vader comes in to attack Hogan to continue Ooh. or begin their feud. Uh, but the funny thing for me is that after Vader starts leaving the ring, he, if you look at his pants, they're very clearly torn on the seat. Uh, so that, that kind of made me <laughs> <laughs> kind of undermine the whole beating he just delivered. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, he teams up with Sting, Macho Man, uh, in a tag match against Avalanche and Big Bubba Rogers, a.k.a. Uh, Big Boss Man, hmm. at Super Brawl 5 in February 1995 and goes one-on-one with Avalanche at Uncensored uh, the following month. Uh, this ends one feud. And begins another as his old adversary, Ric Flair, attacks him during the match to give him the win via DQ. Now, between April and June of 1995, uh, a tournament was held for the vacant United States Championship, uh, which both Flair and uh, Savage had entered. Flair defeated Patriot and Alex Wright in the opening rounds, and Savage beat the Butcher and stunning Steve Austin uh, in his opening rounds to set up a semifinal match at Great American Bash. Their match was declared a no contest, though, since they decided to have a brawl backstage instead, uh, giving Sting, uh, who was the winner of the other semifinal match against Meng, uh, the U.S. title by default. So the two still closed out the show, though, with a proper match at the top of the card, which was won by Flair. Uh, however, Macho Man would get his win back the following month at Bash of the Beach uh, in a lifeguard lumberjack match. Because Should have more of those. <laughs> lifeguard lumberjacks. And if you miss this match, if you miss this match and want to see the highlights of it, I recommend you go check out an episode of Baywatch called Bash at the Beach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, he did uh, do a guest spot on that show. Guest spot? He was in the whole episode. Yeah. Him and Hogan were trying to save the rec center. Oh God! And I'm not kidding. They were trying to save the rec center from Ric Flair <laughs> and Vader, who just wanted to turn into a parking lot. <laughs> My God. <laughs> And they wrestled for it. You know, Hogan and Macho Man had to re- win their matches in order to do it. <laughs> because, I mean, how else would you settle a land dispute, Malcolm? Indeed, not the <laughs> courts. <laughs> At the arbitration of a wrestling match. No, and uh, and they actually show the highlights from the Bash at the Beach matches, including Hogan's match with Vader, too. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Now, let's fast forward to November of 1995. To the first ever World War III pay-per-view, which featured an outlandish three-ring 60-man battle royal uh, for the vacant WCW World Heavyweight Championship. 30 chaotic minutes later, Malcolm Macho Man is declared the winner over Hulk Hogan. Now, I say declared, despite the clear over-the-top rope to eliminate competitors rules, because the giant came in and pulled Hogan out of the ring under the bottom rope when the referee was distracted. So when the referee turned around and saw Hogan outside the ring... Uh, that was that. He just said, he just figured he went over the top rope, so Hogan was the loser, so here we go. 
<laughs> Macho Man is the WCW World Heavyweight Champion for the first time. Uh, in a way that, of course, somehow protects Hogan because he just refuses to lose the damn match clean. <laughs> no, he, he like literally called an audible, and I'm not entirely unconvinced he was trying to get Macho Man to restart the match or something so he could just win. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, like, if you listen to Macho Man, he looks like he is so confused at that. I was like, oh, I don't know what happened, man, but uh, I got the belt. <laughs> so, yeah. So, WCW World Heavyweight Champion. Macho Man Randy Savage. Huzzah! Mm. A month later, indeed, was the annual Starcade pay-per-view, uh, which in 1995 was subtitled the World Cup of Wrestling, because it featured a number of Japanese talent taking on WCW grapplers. Uh, in his first of two matches that night, Savage would defeat Hiroshi Tenzan uh, in his match against uh, a Japanese talent. But in the main event, uh, however, he was defeated by Ric Flair and would lose his WCW title. A dang shit. Mm. Just a month later, Ma. Indeed. Just a month later. Yeah, that would be his longest reign in WCW, by the way. No. <laughs> it would not get better uh, than one month for, for, for the Macho Man. Uh, he did regain the title pretty soon after that, though, uh, from Flair on the January 22nd, 1996 episode of Monday Nitro. The following night, uh, on Clash of the Champions, Elizabeth would return to manage Macho Man and Hulk Hogan in a tag team match against Ric Flair and the Giant. And they would also start calling themselves the Mega Powers again, which I thought was kind of weird. Like, yeah, why would you call yourself the Monster Maniacs if you could use Meg the Mega Powers? <laughs> I don't know. Like, maybe because maybe maybe they see it like it doesn't count as the Mega Powers unless all three of them are in there. But maybe. But, yeah. yeah, I don't know if it was that or if, if they they were just unsure what to do legally. Uh, but that's what happened. Hmm. Now, unfortunately, uh, the second reign as champion was shorter than the first, Malcolm. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> when he lost it right back to Flair a couple of weeks later at Super Brawl 6 in a steel cage match. Uh, hmm. To make things worse, Elizabeth would turn on Savage during the match by handing Flair one of her shoes through the cage's door to use as a weapon and became the Four Horsemen's manager and therefore Ric Flair's manager instead. Yeah, this was back when uh, Ric Flair at some point would have, like, three women being his valet. Including women. Woman. <laughs> would chief among them. Deborah McMichael, sadly. And yeah. then, of course, Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. And this is when uh, R Elizabeth would start to wear leather, which kind of, you know, killed the image she spent so many years uh, building up in uh, WWE. Well, WCW was still growing up, Malcolm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, where the big so, boys played. It was right? so edgy. But, you know, she was getting paid, so I'm sure she didn't mind. <laughs> yeah, she's like, hey, it's a paycheck. <laughs> now, no. Savage's uh, feud with Flair would, of course, continue, uh, but it would also team with Hogan as their individual feuds, uh, Macho with the Horsemen and Hogan with the Dungeon of Doom. It would bring them together at the uncensored pay-per-view, Malcolm, in March of 1996. <laughs> now... Of course, with Savage perpetually in Hogan's shadow, this collection of heels was dubbed the Alliance to End Hulkamania. <laughs> because, oh, come on. <laughs> because, you know, he's the only one that really matters. Uh, and what, what makes matters worse, this was like during like a weird period, I think, where Macho Man was essentially Hogan's like messenger or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Where it's like, we're sa Brother Savage is going to go out there and take out all our bad guys because, you know, Hogan was hurt. So Macho Man would wrestle like two people a paper a show or something yeah. like that. And oh. uh, 
Yeah, then it was just a giant collection of heels, basically. You know, aside from the Horsemen and, and the Dungeon of Doom, uh, other heels included uh, Lex Luger, uh, the uh, Barbarian, uh, Meng, the Ultimate Solution, who you might know as Bane and Batman and Robin. Uh, and, and, and Oh, no kidding. Yeah, and Z Gangsta. Who, Z Gangsta. Which was Zeus. <laughs> again, so they would call Crossmath again. And, uh, that, that Zeus is what he should have been called. Yeah, so... This match, Malcolm, between Hulk Hogan and uh, Savage against the Alliance and the Hulkamania would, uh, would be a Doomsday Cage match. And, uh, oh boy. First of all, this was, uh, that's, it was a really dangerous cage match. Yeah, yeah, but it was not exciting in the least. It was no, not- it's, how do you watch it? It's you weird. don't, you don't. <laughs> because, Malcolm, uh, the rules are never explained by anybody at any point. <laughs> they all kind of like the setup from what I can gather at first is that it seems like like a like a video game <laughs> where like you yeah, it's like sort of like kung fu yeah it's like a challenge area or whatever it's like get your one character through all these rooms of enemies and see if you survive to the end uh but then as the match progresses it, nothing of the of the sort matters or seems to be that way at all so like that concept immediately out the window it's like it's it's a three it's a triple decker cage right and yeah. and, and each and each roof or, or each level of the cage is divided into two for some reason. <laughs> like some some wrestlers start uh, there and like in in certain areas and and like they like Hogan and Macho Man start on the top floor uh, where they fight Arn Anderson and Ric Flair at the beginning uh, and they just punch each other for like seven minutes while everybody else just kind of stands around just waiting for something to happen uh, that yeah, could, the, that could involve nothing- them. Yeah, there's like nothing but brawling. You like you can't really do moves in like the first top uh, layers yeah. of the cage. Yeah, because the the roof of the cage is not high enough. It's only like eight feet up, so you can't really slam or suplex anybody in a really in a, in any way or whatever. It's like what the and everybody else on the lower levels is just standing and watching and waiting. They're like, uh... <laughs> it's like what the hell's going on? And the, and the weird part is if you look at the rules. It essentially goes on until Savage and Hogan escape. So, no matter what, they're they going win. Over. Yeah, like yeah. there's no like the match can't end if they don't win. You know what the result is? Like, what's the point of this? Yeah, like even if uh, the heels just beat them down to their unconscious, they eventually have to be let out of the cage. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh gosh, Man, this... it's it might be the worst thing that's ever happened at a wrestling event where nobody died, Malcolm. Uh, okay. <laughs> it might be the worst thing that's ever been put in front of a, a paid wrestling audience. Mm. It's a terrible match. It might like it. The, uh, Uprox is uh, Uprox is uh, with Spandex Blog, the wrestling blog. They they did a review of this of this thing, and and the writer Brendan Stroud said you will either watch three minutes of this thing and turn it off immediately, or you'll watch the entire thirty minutes and just laugh at the entire thing uh, and. And not believe that it exists at all because it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's worse than that one Halloween Havoc where the main event was uh, Abdullah the Butcher getting electrocuted. <laughs> oh God, that's right. Uh, it's right up there. It's it's one of those two for sure. <laughs> it's it's one of those two. There's no there's nothing else. Oh gosh, yeah. It, I mean, but def- I mean, I can't believe anybody thought this would be a good thing to watch. Indeed, and plus, you know. You have Hogan and Macho Man going over literally every heel, major heel in the company. 
This does nope. Nobody no favors. Yeah, it's it's terrible. Like nobody nobody comes out of that thing looking good. Nobody, yeah. like especially not the heels, but not even Hogan and Macho Man, because like nothing they're doing has has any stakes whatsoever. Dude, th- that first uncensored was kind of ridiculous. Anyway, I <laughs> mean, um, I encourage everybody to look up the review of that pay per view though, because that's it's hilarious. It, it, I never laughed harder at, at a more terrible thing uh, than that review of uncensored 1996. So fresh off the heels of this uh, amazing victory, what did Macho Man go on? Oh, about? God, yeah. Let's just go ahead and fast forward to Bash of the Beach 1996, Malcolm. Mm. The Outsiders, plus one, were supposed Ooh. to take on the team of Randy Savage, Lex Luger, and Sting in what was called a hostile takeover match. After the Outsiders remove Luger and Sting from the match by just beating on their asses until they can't continue, uh, Macho Man is kind of left to fend for himself. At which point Hulk Hogan comes out, presumably to rescue Savage, as he's done so many times before. Uh, but instead, turns on him and all of WCW to form the New World Order. Yep, dropping the leg on him. Uh, is this where he like spray-painted a yellow streak on Savage's back, or would that be later? Uh, I think that'd be later. I don't remember okay. exactly. But yeah, he was kind of, he was almost the first target, I believe. He, he was the first target of the New World Order. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, he'd be among, like, the whole crew of WCW loyalists that fought against the NWO, uh, and this culminated in the title match against champion Hollywood Hogan at Halloween Havoc in 1996. Uh, but as Macho Man's contract was expiring pretty soon after the event and they couldn't reach a new deal, uh, with WCW, keeping the strap on Hogan was pretty, pretty easy, pretty easy choice to make for WCW. They're like, yeah, well, I mean, you're not going to win this title match then. And uh, this was around the time where Hogan began giving nicknames to all his cha- challengers, which I believe Macho Man's was the stupid little man. <laughs> man, like, you do really have to rub more salt in the wound, Hogan. Like, you've already kept this man in your shadow this, literally this entire time. You gotta yeah, call him that, too. This is two companies now where Macho Man is in the shadow of Hogan. It's ridiculous. Oh, man. Uh, so bad. No. Now, so, how long would he be out for? Uh, just a few months. He would return in January of 1997, continuing his feud with the NWO. Uh, it was short-lived, though, because he would join the NWO at Super Brawl 7 in February by helping Hollywood in this match uh, against Roddy Roddy Piper. As Elizabeth had already joined the NWO a few months before, uh, she was managing Savage once again. Mm. Easy peasy. Now, Savage would spend much of the rest of 1998 feuding with Diamond Dallas Page in a, a number of tag team and no disqualification matches, uh, the last of which was at Hollywood, ha- Hall- Hall- I was about to say Hollywood Havoc, Halloween Havoc, 1997, which was a last man standing match. The match was won when Hogan hit Page with a baseball bat while dressed as Sting, uh, because that's what WCW was, I guess. <laughs> and uh, my- Diamond Dallas Page, by the way, you know, still... You know, commend Savage for being the reason that he became a main eventer in the first place. Mm-hmm. Was, you know, Macho Man was the first guy in all the matches that they had, which, by the way, the whole feud started because uh, DDP's wife, Kimberly, appeared in Playboy. And, uh, you know, the Savage and Elizabeth, who had sort of, you know, taken that whole air of elegance to her and used it to become a snooty jerk, just <laughs> they they did this weird, very, like, extreme uh, deal where, you know, 
you, you see Kimberly come out and she's all spray painted and like barely clothed as she was beaten up. And then they, while DDP is like in shock, they jump him from behind and just beat him down. And DDP is like forever thankful to Macho Man because, you know, Macho Man, and keep in mind, this is WCW where everyone had creative control and nobody wanted to job because God forbid. But <laughs> DDP was like, yeah, I'll take the diamond cutter tonight. <laughs> And, uh, you know, gave DDP the win, and that's when DDP started getting noticed in the fans' eyes and becoming that higher echelon on uh, character. I mean, the fact that he's now tangoing with Hogan is pretty much testament to that. Yep. Um, now, following this uh, feud with DDP, though, he would enter a brief feud with Luger, or Flex Luger, rather, uh, and with with Savage getting another shot at the WC title against Sting at Spring Stampede in April of 1998. Uh, Hogan felt that as leader of the NWO, of course, that only he should be champion, uh, and interfered in the no disqualification match. Kevin Nash interfered on Savage's behalf, and Savage is able to secure his third WCW World Heavyweight Championship. And of course, this would be an even shorter reign than the last two, Malcolm. <laughs> because the following night on Monday Nitro, Macho Man would face Hollywood Hogan for his newly won title. And Nash interfered once again to make sure he kept it. However, Bret Hart successfully interfered on Hogan's behalf, ending Savage's reign at just one day. With this series of events, the NWO would split into two factions. Wolfpack, with Nash, Macho, and others as faces, and Hollywood as heels. Mm-hmm. This whole there was... <laughs> Oh, go ahead. It was like, let's all the cool people from NWO and on Red... And all the uh, guys on the other one. <laughs> oh, man. At this point, you know, of course, NWO is just getting way out of hand, right? Yep. This is about the time 50% of the roster was NWO. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you can't, like, you, 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 like, this is just another wrestling promotion now. <laughs> I mean, it was like, it was really fun because, uh, you know, you tuned in. Who's going to join this week? But then it was like, all right, it, okay, seriously, it's just like uh, Jerry Flynn on WCW sides. What, what? <laughs> yeah. Who else is there? They, <laughs> it's like everyone wanted to be NWO, of course, because they wanted to get over. When, when the time that Mike Rotundo was NWO, that's when you knew you were <laughs> Yeah, man. Uh, Papa White. <laughs> Papa, Papa White. It, that's going to end up being like a major wrestling family now, the Rotundos. <laughs> Out of nowhere. Um, mm. Now, behind the scenes, though, Savage had torn his ACL in his match. Uh, over at Spring Stampede, uh, so he would finally take time off in June to have surgery and recover, uh, making only one more non-wrestling TV appearance in 1998, uh, back in this, oh, way over in December. So, once you recover from that, though, Mr. Macho Man returned as an anti-hero with a new look. Uh, he had the earrings and the kangals. Uh He had Gorgeous George as his manager. Uh, oh yes, this is Team Madness. Team Madness, fun. <laughs> uh, just before Team Madness, though, he found himself as a special guest referee in a in a main event match at Spring Stampede in April 1999, uh, which was a four corners match. It's basically a fatal four way uh, between Ric Flair, who's the champion, Sting, Diamond Dallas Page, and Hollywood Hogan. Uh, Diamond Dallas Page won after he hit the diamond cutter on Flair, which was the result of Savage hitting the flying elbow on Flair when he's locked in a figure four leg lock with Sting. Uh, very convoluted, but that's what happened. 
<laughs> Apparently, as soon as Macho Man said, "Yeah, I'm the special guest ref," you think Flair would have like figured something was going on? <laughs> yeah, he probably should have said, "Uh, maybe I'll like maybe I'll wrestle another day." <laughs> How do you like the look of this new Savage? By the way, uh, I didn't care for it. Really? Well, because I mean, the thing I loved so much about Macho Man was the crazy colors and the outfits, but now he was dressing like some weird. Dad biker. <laughs> Some weird biker dad. <laughs> biker dad. <laughs> to me, he looks like what Chris Jericho will look like in another 20 years. Yeah, basically. Uh, but And, yeah, they also talked about this on the DVD set where Macho Man was like, I'm getting older. I need to grab attention as much as possible. So having not one, not two, but three managers, three female valets, is... Uh, all of whom actually would actively interfere. Like Medusa was a well-known badass. Yeah. So she, she would just go toe to toe with guys on the outside. Miss Madness, who would later go on to bigger things as Molly Holly. <laughs> yep. He would actually go to the top rope and do all these like uh top rope moves while being in like this full on gown. <laughs> and uh, gorgeous George was there to steal macho man's uh, gimmick that he paid for already. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like I mean, obviously I didn't have a problem with you know like Team Madness, but like just as look, I felt it was disappointing because I mean, so, like so many years loving him as this crazy, colorful goofball, uh, to see him just dressed in black all the time. It's like, eh. yeah, this is essentially what Macho Man would look like if he went clubbing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> biker dad, I'm telling you. Uh, um, you could join up with Biker Taker. <laughs> uh, so yeah, like he he formed. Team Madness with, like you said, um, Medusa, Miss Madness, Gorgeous George, uh, and of course Sid Vicious as well would do so when he returned to WCW, uh, when he helped Macho Man get into a WCW title match at the Great American Bash uh, in July of 1999. Uh, this match was, was a strange setup for a title match, or a WCW World Heavyweight Championship match, because it was a tag team match uh, between the team of you know Macho Man and Sid Vicious on one side, uh, with Kevin Nash and Sting on the other, and whoever scored the winning pinfall would be declared World Heavyweight Champion, uh, which I've never seen before or after. It's a little, yeah, w, this is when WCW was really going off the deep end. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, WWF's really laying into us now, we need something. Let's have a tag match for the WCW Championship? <laughs> like, what the hell are you smoking? What are you talking about? <laughs> Did you hit your head on the coffee table? <laughs> Sadly, this would not be the last time he did this either. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, the whole David Arquette thing, that was in a tag, tag match. Oh, God. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. It's so dumb. Anyway, Macho Man would win this match, by the way, upon pinning Kevin Nash for his fourth and final WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, now, this reign would also be a one-day reign, Malcolm. And uh, as Macho Man would once again lose it the following night on Monday Nitro, once again... To Hollywood Hogan, who this time was returning from a knee injury he suffered in this uh, Four Corners match I mentioned a little earlier before. Uh, Kevin Nash came in, Power Bob Savage gave Hogan the victory, and Hogan and uh, and after that, Hogan and Savage would never wrestle each other again. Really, that was it. That was it. Wow. The the end of the uh, of the Mega Power Saga. Or is it? Yes. Well. <laughs> Basically, yeah, for all intents and purposes. In the in the ring, yet, but the hatred of Hogan uh, would not end here. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. But I'm I'm, oh, I'm yeah. not in the ring yet. Oh yeah, in the ring. <laughs> you 
You're never going to see another match, folks. No, no, definitely not. Now, Medusa and Miss Madness would argue over who was responsible for Savage losing the title, uh, but Macho Man saved them both the trouble of figuring it out by firing them both, <laughs> and, oh. team, and Team Madness was done. Uh, Macho Man would enter a brief feud after this with Chicago Bulls NBA star Dennis Rodman, and the two would have a match at Road Wild in August. This was the greatest thing of ever. 1999, <laughs> and Savage won. Tell us about it, Malcolm, since you're so enthusiastic it's- about it. Well, Dennis Rodman is uh, well-documented, especially in the Hogan autobiography, for not giving a shit as far as training for these matches. <laughs> as they, they use Dennis Rodman a bit for matches here and there, most notably in a tag match with Hogan versus DDP and Carl Malone, who was a, uh, who was a real prince about getting wrestling training and all that. <laughs> uh, but essentially, uh, you know, Rodman would show up drunk and uh, not train whatsoever. So they have this matchup, which is essentially just Macho Man potatoing Dennis Rodman all <laughs> over the arena, beating him, then stuffing him in a porta potty and flipping it over. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, it's great! <laughs> oh man! Oh, there's only one Macho Man, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, it, I, I recommend this match not as uh, for those looking for a classic Macho Man match. Uh, but if you hate, but if you just like to see a, a, a Dennis Rodman get his comeuppance, or just see a wrestler essentially go into business for himself, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you have anything to, else to say on this match? <laughs> no, I did not. Okay, what else happened? Uh, now, Sad, would you take another brief hiatus from WCW? Uh, and upon his return, he got caught up in the New Blood slash Millionaire's Club drama. Uh, at the time, hmm. the New Blood was run by Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo, with the ranks being filled by younger talent that they claim was being held back by the company's veterans, which was all part work, part shoot, whatever. <laughs> uh, and this naturally put Macho Man on the Millionaire's side. Um, and his final uh, WCW appearance, though, would be on the May 3rd, 2000 episode of Thunder. Uh, during the 41-man Battle Royal to determine a number one contender for the WCW title. And that's it for Macho Man and WCW. Seriously? Yeah, it's not as long and, and prolific for sure as his time in WWF. Wow. Uh, I feel I feel like I should mention that Macho Man would go up uh, to do a few things after this. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, not done. I'm just saying that. I'm, oh, okay. I'm, I'm just okay. capping okay. off the WCW part of this. It's and it's interesting because you know, I remember Macho Man quite vividly. But yeah, when you talk about it, yeah, he really didn't do too too much, did he? No, I mean, and that's why I said that earlier about when Vince McMahon kind of said like, I'm, I think I've gotten as much as I can out of Macho Man. Like, it's very easy to be like, well, he clearly had a few years left in him. But like, when you look at what he did in WCW, uh, it wasn't a heck of a lot. <laughs> well, to be fair to Macho Man, you know. If he was going to make an impact, he he made about as much of an impact as he could in that fit. Uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, during this time was like the peak of the Attitude Era. Mm. What what impact do you think he could have made in the WWF in in Attitude Era WWF? An uh, Attitude Era WWF, like if he if he did, hit, I still think uh, that storyline he proposed would have been fantastic, especially if it was leading to Michaels or some dude going over. Like the whole the whole point of the angle that he was pitching was that he was this over the hill guy trying to cling on to his glory. So that 
especially with Macho Man like doing that, I think I think it would have been fantastic, and it could have made a superstar. Like you do that, then you end his career. Here, and uh, you know he you put him back as an announcer again. You know, easy peasy. Because <laughs> like, say what you will, Savage was still mega over. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, and you could you definitely could have done some good some key matches. I think you could have got. I agree with you. Like one two years, and then call it a call it a career. And I would, granted, yeah, especially when you look at the length of the t- really one day, my God, <laughs> twice. Oh, it's, and granted, he, he was still he's still recognized as this multi-time champion in WCW, but. Yeah, I mean, there's so many cooks in that kitchen. Macho Man didn't have a chance in WCW, would be my argument. But yeah. you could still have done something. Yeah, but I mean, the sad fact of the matter is that he's involved in one of the worst matches of all time in, in that Doomsday cage match, and I would rather have not that have happened. Well, to be fair, so we're 15. Other <laughs> I know, but I mean, man. You can't give all that on Macho I know, man. but I mean, obviously it's not his fault, but it's such a sad thing where it's like, on one hand, you put on some of the best matches of all time. It's like WrestleMania three, woo! And then here's Doomsday Cage match. What the hell? This <laughs> that was the same person involved in these two matches. Sadly, it's not. Well, happily, it's not even the worst thing. Like Macho, like Hogan, freaking monster truck sumo wrestling, the giant. <laughs> I, oh, I would put up there too. <laughs> and like everything about WCW, as much as I enjoyed watching it when it was new, uh, the more I look into it, like across these different wrestlers, the more agitated I am by its presence at all. <laughs> it's like, man. Well, what, it's dead. What a badly run thing that was. Oh, God. <laughs> what a terrible, terrible business. And plus, I, I will still say this, he had, he still had some great matches, like those matches with DDP, Ric Flair, and uh, quite a few uh, others are oh, yeah. really nice gems. So, yeah, you definitely could WWE, Vince is crazy. They could have done something with him. <laughs> But what did he do after this, Joe? Well, following that, uh, he still dabbled in guest appearances on, on like TV shows and cartoons. Uh, memorably, he was on like things like Dexter's Laboratory, Space Ghost, Coast to Coast. Uh, he was dial E, for, dial M for Monkey as Rasslor. <laughs> he was. Uh, <laughs> perhaps his most famous cameo, though, was in 2002 when he suited up as Bonesaw McGraw yes! in Spider Man. <laughs> What are you do? What you doing up there? <laughs> uh, and one of the greatest, I think, cameos I've ever seen. Bone saw is ready. <laughs> we everything he says was quotable. <laughs> uh, so good. Oh god! Like Marvel, if you could make him like a hidden character in a Spider-Man game or something, please. I would appreciate oh. it a lot. I marked out so hard in the movie theater when I realized <laughs> that was Macho Man. Oh man. And uh, the following year, in 2003, he would also try his hand at Music Malcolm with a rap album. I don't know if you remember this. It was, I own it. It was called Be... Of course you do. It was called Be a Man. <laughs> and, uh, Be a Man, Hogan. <laughs> the title track was a diss song aimed at Hulk Hogan. Uh, it also featured a tribute song dedicated to Kurt Hennig. Uh, and Perfect friend. Yeah, perfect friend. The, perfect friend, song. terrible song. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I recommend this album to everyone. I, I recommend it ironically. There's not a single bar of good music on it, but it's fun to listen to. Yeah, so I, you know, if you're lucky, maybe you'll stumble across it on a bargain bin or iTunes it, man. It's the greatest <laughs> thing ever. It's Macho Man rapping! Oh, man, which is exactly what it sounds like. Oh, 
You see him, you hear him busting rhymes on Hogan about how, while you were dancing around like a ballerina. I was in Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> like what? Kind of what? Uh, sadly, and this is where I m- make the joke about the Hogan Masha Man feud continuing. Uh, Hogan didn't took to this by having a, telling a whole bunch of his fans to go to these concerts and just boo him out of the out of the uh, wherever he was performing at. Very much. Yep. <laughs> you know, Hogan, the proper etiquette for rap beef, rap beef is to put out your own diss track. Yeah, why can't Hogan, <laughs> Hogan, Hogan release another release and rap album? This would have been the greatest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But the following year, Malcolm, between November 2004 and January 2005, Macho Man had the briefest of runs with total nonstop action. That's all him do minimal ring work. Uh, at the meaning blinked and you missed it. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. At the Victory Road pay per view in November 2004, he simply just made his presence in the company known. Just kind of walked into the arena. Uh, at Turning Point in December the following month, he was in the six man tag match with AJ Styles and Jeff Hardy against Jeff Jarrett, Kevin Nash, and Scott Hall. Uh, but like I, I think before the match, they like stuffed him into a limo and. They drove him off somewhere for like 20 minutes of the, out of the 25 minutes that the match was. Uh, then he returned near the end, tagged in, threw a few punches, and then pinned, I forget, Jeff Jarrett, I think, uh, who was the champion at the time. Uh, mm. So that was kind of funny. <laughs> um, and then after that, he was supposed to have a main event match at Final Resolution in January 2005 against Jarrett. Uh, he, was, he planned on winning that and then giving the the title back uh, the next month at the next pay-per-view, but health concerns made him step out of the event and out of TNA for good on February 18th, 2005. So literally just like two and a half or three months uh, <laughs> that he was there. Mm. Like, yeah, go ahead. A large part of it, uh, from what I understand from Lanny Poffo, was he was just really... Because he wasn't the same size as he used to be. He had shrunk down a little bit as he was getting down there in age and Due to the health problems, he hadn't been able to work out as much. Mm-hmm. And it really, you know, he really had, like, as we've said, you know, with the being as controlling as he is, you know, wanting the matches just right, wanting everything just right. Imagine how it is when he's not just right in his mind. Yeah. So that killed him. And for a large, large chunk of the reasons, you know, he just left. Yeah. I mean, he had those, like, like I said, that knee surgery in WCW. Uh, when he tore his ACL, tearing your ACL is no joke whatsoever. Uh, so, I mean, and, you know, him being the high-flying dude that he was, that's that's a big blow. So, and I think he had some back trouble as well, uh, you know, alluding to that shrinking down that you mentioned. Uh, mm. So, yeah, basically just not, like, it was just, it, the time was right to just hang it up. Yeah, that, that came uh, and thus signaled the end of his career right there. Yeah. And, um, you know, fortunately, even though he left the WWF on less than ideal terms way back in 94, uh, especially after uh, WWF started launching those Billionaire Ted, Nacho Man, Huckster promos back in the day. Uh, he d- Which uh, he apparently took really to heart. Yeah, he did. He did not like that at all. Uh, but despite all that, he would do some promotional work for the WWE All-Stars video game. 
uh, he kind of buried the hatchet with that, and yeah, he did pro- promo work. I, I remember seeing the trailer. I was like, holy crap, they got Macho Man back. <laughs> uh, and and a, another little fun little nod, I think it was a Comic-Con where uh, the Jacks or whomever were announcing their new action figures, and one of whom included uh, Macho Man from WrestleMania Seven, and they actually got Macho Man to you know, do a promo. Like First of all, you hear is, oh, yeah, and then the audience freaks out and you see Macho Man and he's like gray as hell like all the all the colors gone from his hair and a bandana and sunglasses like oh you check this out <laughs> they released this figure that looks just like Macho Man well not now but back then <laughs> oh and like people just it was so cool and at this time Macho Man had, was finally and for when I say we're coming to the end of the road uh, he had just like met up again with his uh, high school sweetheart, which he was dating before he'd or uh, he decided to become a professional wrestler, and he actually dumped her <laughs> as soon as he made the decision to become a wrestler. Real nice, Randy. Yeah, well, you know, he had to, <laughs> you know, sometimes you got to make that decision, man. And uh, they met up again after all those years, and they hooked up back back up again. In fact, they actually got married in Hawaii on May tenth, twenty ten, I believe. And, uh, you know, at this point, Macho Man, people say he was uh, happy for the first time in his life. Yeah, and, you know, on top of, you know, making amends with WWE, as it was now known, uh, he also apparently made some amends with Hulk Hogan, uh, according at least to Jimmy Hart and even his brother. uh, They said that, you know, well, according to to Jimmy Hart, at least, they they both met up at a hospital where they were both getting surgery done at the same time. uh, And I guess they kind of hashed some things out. Yeah, and this was another one where, you know, as much as Hogan likes to spin doctor things, I also, uh, you always have to say that with Hogan, because I'm sorry, because <laughs> he does. But I kind of believe it, because you'd think Hogan would come up with a better story than, I was in a hospital, Macho Man appeared, and we made up. That's literally the story. <laughs> Yeah, there are more glamorous ways than say, I was broken, he was broken, and we fixed each other emotionally. Oh. Yeah, and uh, Joe, what happened next? Well, Malcolm. On May 20th, 2011, just a couple of months after the release of WWE All-Stars, Savage died of a heart attack he suffered while driving with his new wife in Seminole, Florida. He had become unresponsive and drove off the road and into a tree. Uh, His wife, fortunately, was completely unhurt, Uh, but he had passed and he was just 58 years old. And it was a tremendous shock. I mean, uh, wrestlers die like every, every... yeah, every so often now, but you know, this was literally you know out of nowhere. I mean, it wasn't; like, it was literally an accident. And ah, oh, God, it's like it's like I'm tearing up right now thinking about it. Yeah, the like, Macho Man was like my favorite wrestler ever. He's what got me to start getting into wrestling, and you know, to hear that come on the news, you know, it, it killed me. I'll be honest. Yeah, I mean, on top of being one of the very best wrestlers of all time, I think just in general, he's one of the very best entertainers of all time. Oh, hands down. Like, this is going to sound like I'm joking, but like even in the little things like the the rap albums or that episode Dial M for (laughs) for Monkey where he was Rassler, the god of wrestling, who is going to decide if he destroys the earth. He he, he was just perfect in everything he did. And maybe it was that perfection that... He wanted needed to be perfect in everything, and you know maybe he was. <sighs> God. And 
it's a real tragedy that he'll be missed. And I may disagree with you on one thing with you, Joe. You say he made up with the WWE, but really we just would see him with like partners of the WWE, like Jax or, or various, they like, it would be years upon years before, you know, WWE would even have him in the hall of fame. In fact, to a point where when, Stone Cold was interviewing Vince McMahon. He even he even asked him like flat out, "Is Macho Man going in the Hall of Fame?" Like <laughs> it was so ridiculous at this point. Like he needed this answer. Yeah, and he was like, "Vince is like, of course." It's like, "Are you shitting me? Is he going in the Hall of Fame?" <laughs> <laughs> no, of course they are finally fixing that most glaring omission, uh, and he will finally be inducted uh, into the Hall of Fame as part of a class of 2015 before WrestleMania 31 uh, this Saturday. Yeah, about yeah. damn time. And because we'll address that there are like rumors upon rumors on what happened that led to the falling out, uh, like even rumors such as extreme rumors as him and Stephanie had a thing. Yeah. But I think it was just that Macho Man wanted to be used and he felt insulted by Vince that he wasn't using him. In fact, it kind of very similarly mirrors what's going on with Punk as he ended up leaving because he thought he wasn't being used properly, too. Yeah. Uh, but, you know. If ever there was a man who deserved to be in there, it's him. Yeah, like there was, like in in other sports, you know, the Hall of Fame is voted on. You know, like there's commissions or committees that that vote upon you know eligible uh, players or whatever. And if there was such a process uh, in in WWE as there is in those sports, he would undoubtedly be you know one of the first ballot guys that ever voted in on their first year of eligibility. Yeah, and I understand, like, you only have so many big names like Macho Man, you have to spread it out. Uh, and a large part, we should also address this, too, a large part of the reason why, I, I guess, at least what WWE is saying, that he wasn't included in the Hall of Fame is Macho Man, his condition was it has to be him, his brother, and his dad. And, his dad. and uh, WWE, I guess, for whatever, wouldn't have it, so his brother, the genius, finally said, like, after... Yeah, like he said, the way he told the story is like uh, one year I woke up and I realized I was now the older brother, mm. and uh, he made the decision there. You know, this is not it's. I'm not gonna do this and cheat the fans and everyone else just because of the, just because of a feud. So he said, "Don't worry about it. You don't need to include me or my dad. Just put Macho Man in there, and uh, that's what's going on." And uh, chance and. Uh, I wanted to ask you, how do you feel after all we've said about Hogan, about him being the guy that inducts Macho Man in there? Oh, uh, man, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, you know, he... he uh, I mean, on the one hand, Macho Man's biggest, most fam- like, I guess, like, the height of his popularity was right alongside Hulk Hogan as part of the Mega Powers, and, and the culmination of that feud with WrestleMania 5 and the Mega Powers exploding, uh, like, I would say Macho Man was never bigger than then, really, in terms of wrestling. Uh, so it makes yeah, sense it, to get someone like so. On that hand, it makes sense to have Hogan be the guy to induct him. But on the other hand, it's like he really lived, <laughs> you know, living all that time in his shadow. Uh, like that's that kind of sucks too. <laughs> I mean, yeah, especially that whole history there. It's like you kind of wonder if you know those times they did make up. It's because. You know, Macho Man was like, okay, let's. If I want a career at all, I need to make up with this. I need to be friends with this guy. And 
there's this picture that I've seen that sort of includes uh, my fears on it. It's like it's like a Hall of Fame deal. It's like going to a Hall of Fame Macho Man and inducting him Hulk Hogan, and Hulk Hogan is like super huge and covering up Macho <laughs> Man in the picture. Yeah. Uh, but on the you know thinking positively on the whole thing, I can understand why this is being done. I mean, this is going to give all the attention in the world to the Macho Man induction, and you can argue that it was already there, but. It's kind of you know really when you think about it, if I was a, if I was a fan who didn't know any better, I would say this would would be the perfect inductor. Yeah, Market, and marketing that, wise, it's it's perfect. I guess. Yeah, and you know it's going to put all the attention where it belongs on Macho Man, and people are saying why why can't his brother do it? Well, who do you think is going to be accepting? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I kind of feel weird about it too, given their whole history. But I can yeah. see the merits of the decision. Yeah, too. and ultimately, I'm just glad that it's finally happening. Yeah, thank God, <laughs> thank God. All right, Joe. Yeah. What 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 a trip. Yeah. That being so, said, I guess we just move on to some of the recommendations. Uh, indeed. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a wide range of just great, great stuff that we talked about. Uh, that you can go back and visit. Uh, the early stuff, you know, his first pay per view, you know, the wrestling classic. Uh, back in, boy, what did we say, 1985 or 86? Uh, yep, 85. Uh, 16 uh, there's, only one, there's only one wrestling class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I still like getting the years right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're doing a history podcast after all. <laughs> uh, you know, it's cool seeing, you know, you get three Macho Man uh, or four Macho Man matches in one night, which is cool. Uh, get to see some real nice early heel work there, so I like seeing that. Uh, of course, the Seminole match against Ricky Steamboat. WrestleMania mm. 3, just goes without saying. Uh, yeah. WrestleMania 4, I like watching just because, you know, the, just the moment of, of him finally getting that title uh, and, you know, him and, and Elizabeth being very happy with each other. Uh, just, it's nice to see. I really like it. Oh, yeah. just for, it's a pay-per-view that's literally putting over one guy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's just, like, you talk about how him and, and, and Elizabeth are, are forever tied together, even even though they spent the last like what fifteen years of their lives uh, kind of apart from each other, but there's still there's still a bond between them that you just can't quite separate. And see, WrestleMania Four is kind of the epitome of that. So I like seeing that for that more than the actual match itself. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and that that moment at WrestleMania Seven is literally like the only thing. So about that pay per view to check. Out, right. So. Um, you know, a couple uh, matches with the Mega Powers are always always fun to watch. You know, against the Mega Bucks at SummerSlam '88, against the Twin Towers when when the, the two when the Mega Powers begin to explode uh, at Saturday Night's main event on February 2nd, '89, uh, and of course the proper explosion of the Mega Powers at WrestleMania Five. Uh, and I would throw in also, I, I really enjoyed that SummerSlam, the Summer, the Survivor Series matchup with the Mega Powers versus the uh, Million Dollar Team. Yeah, uh, I, I actually really enjoyed that, so right. I would recommend it. <laughs> All right, uh, of course, I also like watching that match at you know the main event after uh, with between him and the Macho King uh, and Hulk Hogan uh, with Buster Douglas, just because it's hilarious to see Buster Douglas. Uh, oh, that was that was a great main event too. Yeah, uh, Buster Douglas man has zero charisma. By the way, holy hell! No, God, no, <laughs> he's the worst. <laughs> they should have just gotten Tyson. Yeah, it's like just get the loser anyway. He's way better. <laughs> um, let's see, WrestleMania Seven against uh, Ultimate Warrior is a lot of fun to watch mm-hmm. uh, because it's literally as good as Ultimate Warriors <laughs> ever looked in a match. Uh, I like watching Jake Roberts at this Tuesday in Texas. Uh, 
Yeah. The match itself, yeah, I mean, like you said, Like wasn't... I said, no. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, like you said, uh, the match itself isn't super great or super memorable, but <laughs> but the heel work by Jake Roberts at the end, just tormenting for, for Macho Man. It's, just, it's so much fun to watch. Oh, yeah. It, to, to that same extent, uh, check out the after party for the uh, match made in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Throw this guy out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you have to pull that up on YouTube. I couldn't find it on the network. Oh, God, yeah. That, that is just classic, classic stuff. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, oh, if you, if you want to, check out the Match Made in Heaven wedding. I mean, oh, yeah. literally, literally that pairing meant so much, it main-evented a paper. It main-evented SummerSlam. <laughs> like, they had the title match, and then they made way for, for Macho Man and Elizabeth to get married. By the way, one of the very, very few weddings in WWE where nothing happened. Yeah, they went, it went as planned. Um, yeah, and They got married. That and, was <laughs> and can I just say that if I ever dress up as Macho Man uh, for Halloween, I might just dress up as Macho Man at a SummerSlam wedding. What an amazing, <laughs> what an amazing wedding outfit. <laughs> With the giant feather in his hat. The white and gold Indeed. suit. Oh, my God. So great. Oh, true story. I almost asked to come out to um, the wedding with the Macho Man's theme music. Oh, God. <laughs> but, but, you know, Sandra, I didn't want to ruin it. <laughs> yes, yes. Sandra's like, no, honey. <laughs> um, uh, another true fact, I wanted to come out with us each holding a tag team title. <laughs> come on! <laughs> she vetoed that. <laughs> Man, I, I'm surprised she didn't just say, you know what, maybe we'll just follow through on this marriage thing another time. <laughs> Oh man! All right, so uh, <laughs> match made in heaven. What else? Uh, you WrestleMania eight, a lot of fun uh, with Ric Flair. Mm. A little bit overbooked, maybe with a little bit with a lot of just, just a little bit. Yeah, but otherwise still fun to watch. I, oh, oh, just a lot of great talent involved either way. You know, Mister mm. Perfect, Ric Flair, uh, Macho Man. So yeah, watch him for that. What do you have to recommend in the WW, WCW side, Malcolm? Let's see. Uh, did you re- recommend checking out the very early Saturday night's main events for WCW? Uh, the matches with George Steele. Oh no, I mean oh. in WCW. Oh, in WCW. Uh, check out those. I said I don't remember where they <laughs> were, but the matches he had with Diamond Dallas Page were great. You could YouTube just Macho Man versus Diamond Dallas Page. In fact, if you go to Diamond Pe- Dallas's Page's website. There's a tribute page to Macho Man. It has like every single match they ever had. Uh, that's uh, really good. Uh, you should at least attempt to check out the cage match we talked yeah, about. Yeah, that's definitely a hate watch. Uh, I don't, don't expect like like the idea of saying, "Oh, a triple decker cage." That's that looks like it's worth watching. You would think so, <laughs> but it's really not. Uh, except to just see where the lowest the lowest valleys uh, that wrestling reached right before. Uh, the and before the, uh, the NWO Attitude Era explosion, because there were some lows in wrestling, and that might be the lowest of all. <laughs> Where it's like no one had any idea what to do to get people interested in wrestling again. Yeah, and I mean, I'm trying to think of like matches, and uh, I guess it just further illustrates your point. I'm trying. I'm having great difficulty <laughs> thinking of a great Macho Man match from WCW. Like I enjoyed all of his matches in WCW. Yeah, but. It it was WCW in the end. <laughs> yeah, and like while while WWE like built every single match to Macho Man specifications, I'd like to think, and made them all legendary. Like they he he was so much of a Hogan afterthought in WCW, but 
The matches with DDP, I would check out Bash at the Beach also with the NWO, just because just for the history of that oh, match. Yeah. And Macho Man was definitely there, <laughs> uh, which I know sounds terrible. But Macho <laughs> Man was, you know, he was the last guy standing for the WCW side. Uh, I would uh, check out any of the matches he had with Flair because th- they were always really, oh, really yeah. great Super, matches. Super Brawl Six, where uh, where Elizabeth turns at him, uh, is interesting mm. to watch because he's like, I just spent ten years watching these guys like be. The closest two people I've ever seen in wrestling, and now she's handing Ric Flair her shoe for him to spike him in the face with the heel. Yeah, just piss on my childhood. <laughs> yes, <laughs> seriously, God. God damn. Uh, uh, I guess go that World War Three match in 95 is worth watching for the sake of seeing what the hell kind of craziness is involved in a World War Three match. Yeah, I mean, after that, sadly, he, like, Thankfully, Joe didn't touch on this because it would be uber depressing, but his primary job was putting people over that were facing Hogan. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, he jobbed to the Giant pretty quickly, setting up the matchup between Hogan and uh, and uh, Giant. Uh, I think he jobbed to Vader. I, like, like, he was essentially just signed in to be Hogan's mate for, like, the first year of his career, even into the second career of his career. God damn, man. Real fast. Damn it, Joe. This is depressing. Oh, man. I'm telling you, like, he's... Macho Man ended up being one of the more tragic figures in a number of ways. Uh, not just, uh, you know, not just in the fact that his his perfectionism kind of, kind of overcame him, but just the fact that, you know, man, he was overshadowed by, like, his biggest rival professionally, you know. It's like, it... Like, a lot of things that just should not have happened to someone as talented as him. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's definitely fun to check out that, you know, that entire run in WWE where, you know, even though he was, wasn't was there really that long, he made such a legendary career. I mean, yeah, it's like you look at guys like Tigger and Cena, they had to be there 20-plus years in order to get the history they have now. But, you know, Macho Man's going to re- be remembered forever. Yeah, Macho Man. I guess if I were to give like a a comparison to to like another sport in terms of an athlete that made the kind of impact that he did, uh, where like his career wasn't as long as others that that you that you kind of put on the same plateau as as someone like Macho Man, right? You put him with people like Flair, put him with the people like Michaels, uh, but like Michaels and Flair both had longer careers overall, didn't they? Mm-hmm. So I like when you think about someone like as talented as him making an impact in such a short time. Uh, it's kind of like, he's kind of like, I guess, the Barry Sanders of, of wrestling. You know, Barry Sanders was this amazing running back for the Detroit Lions in the in the early 90s. Uh, and he could have been, like, he could have broken all kinds of records, but he just, I mean, it wasn't, obviously the factors there in, <laughs> in football are, are obviously very different. But uh, in the end, he was just like, nah, I just, like, nah, I've, I've done whatever thing I want to do. And he just stopped playing. Is everyone's like, but what, but but but? <laughs> everyone's like, but you're so great. Why would you stop? <laughs> you have so much more to give. Uh, but like, he made that amazing impact in such a short amount of time. Indeed, and like I said, you know, everyone knows him. Like he's transcended time. Like yeah. I, I go to clothing stores. There's Macho Man shirts there. Yeah, it's like it blows my mind. Like even <laughs> like even watching you know NXT now. Like you. Watch someone like Bailey. Like she's got the, you know, she's got the little the 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 tassels, the tassels on her arms, and she's like, "Yep, yeah, Macho Man. Love Macho Man growing up, and I definitely wanted tassels on my arms." <laughs> it's like, yeah, God damn, I love Bailey. Yeah, it's like, and every everyone knows who Macho Man is, and uh, God, and uh, 
people make fun of the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's pretty much uh, Vince's in Vince's head and all that, but it is like an important piece of his. It is important because you know wrestling fans go. To, that is to many wrestling fans that is the official Hall of Fame. And now they'll go there. They'll see Macho Man's name there, and they'll be like, "Huh, who's that?" Well, and they'll they they can't go there, Malcolm, because it's not a physical place you can go to. So. The website, goddamn <laughs> <laughs> it, should be a real place you can go to, though. I can't believe that's not a real building that you can go to somewhere. Well, not now. Uh, Give it time. Triple H. Everything will be better when Triple H takes over. Oh man, Let's give us a real Hall of Fame for once. Oh, indeed. I want to visit make, it. Damn it. Make NXT the new uh, alternative brand. Oh, God, it would be perfect. Uh, so, wow. all right. So, unless you have anything else to recommend, welcome in terms of uh, the network or YouTube. Um, uh, Sp- Spider-Man? <laughs> Spider-Man, of course. Uh, and, you know, Check out Bones. And, uh, oh, and, uh, like, the WWE Network has this cool area uh, in the vault, I think, under just quick hits. They just have random things in there. Uh, mm. And you'll find some random uh, Macho Man promos in there as well. They're definitely worth watching. Uh, oh god, yeah, yes, a, and it was great because him and uh, me and Gene, they were just spitball. <laughs> and uh, oh, Tuesday Night Titans, see anything with Macho Man in there? Uh, I unfortunately, mean, none of the none of the Titans episodes that are on the network uh, feature Macho Man. Well, give it time. They like update a new one every week, just like if it was an actual show. So <laughs> eventually, they'll get to Macho yeah, Man. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, the primetime uh, wrestling and and Tuesday Night Titans is is woefully lacking in Macho Man content. Well, we're we're just going to have to give it time. Yeah. All right, Joe, with that, I guess that does it. That does do it, Malcolm. Man, that was yeah, that was a little longer than I thought it would be. Uh but yeah, that's that's all we got for this episode. Uh you can find Slam University on slamuni.com. That's where we post all the episodes. You can comment, uh, leave feedbacks there, all that good stuff. Uh, you can also follow the show at Slam University on Twitter. Uh you can uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher Radio. Uh, if you're on iTunes, though, if you could rate and review us, give us five star ratings. That'd be very helpful to us. Uh, can that way you can let Apple know that you know people are out here listening to us, listening to us, thinking that we're cool, and maybe they'll feature us on something. I don't know. That'd be very nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> that'd be very nice for us personally. Uh, you can find me personally on Twitter uh, at once twenty three. You can find our good friend here, Malcolm Spinetti, at uh, P.S. Milk. Um, Yo. I think that's it. Did I, did I forget anything about yeah. that? Uh, I'll just mention really quick, if you like PlayStation games, check out our other podcast, Firmware Update. Uh, please do. Uh, the firmup.wordpress.com is where you'll find that. Uh, and do everything Joe just said for Slam <laughs> University. For yeah, do that for that too, if, you, if you'd like. It'll help us a lot. Um, so with that, uh, we are done, Malcolm. The cream of the crop has risen. <laughs> uh, too hot to handle, too old to cold. <laughs> Peace out. It's a day that I'm certain my guest at this time will not forget. I'm talking about the former Intercontinental Champion of the World, Macho Man nothing Randy. Nothing means nothing. nothing.
Nothing means nothing. Nothing means nothing. What do you mean by that? I'm talking about all the way to the top. Yeah. Unjustifiably in a position that I'd rather not be in. But the cream will rise to the top. Oh, yeah. Macho Madness, yeah, has got more to offer than President Jack Tunney thinks that I got. Yeah, and I'll tell you something right now. Cards stacked against the Macho Man Randy Savage in WrestleMania 3. Yeah, let me see it. Yeah. Let me see it loud and let me point to the president of the world wrestling federation the macho man randy savage is not happy with your decision yeah i am the cream in the world wrestling federation wait, wait a second, and there is no doubt about it yeah you mean gene okerlin you know that i'm the cream of the crop Wait, wait a minute, though, Randy. I've got to ask you very seriously. Do you blame Mr. Jack Tunney, the distinguished president of the World Wrestling Federation, for Ricky Steamboat being the Intercontinental Champion today? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Outside interference, yeah. In my moment of glory. Yeah, now I'm living in a nightmare. And I am the cream. And now, not only the Intercontinental Heavyweight Championship belt must fall, but the World Heavyweight Championship belt. Because Hulk Hogan, yeah, I am the cream, yeah, the cream of the crop. And there is no one that does it better than the macho man Randy Savage. On balance, off balance, doesn't matter. I'm better than you are, yeah. And I'm talking to everyone in the World Wrestling Federation. And I'm even talking to President Jack Tunney, yeah. I'm on my way. And nothing is going to stop me. Nothing's going to stop me. You know, just out of curiosity, Randy, and I certainly don't want to diminish your tremendous uh, God-given talents, but but I'm very curious. I haven't seen Elizabeth lately. Yeah. She's on the outside of the ring. Does she interfere in matches? Yeah. Nothing. Zero. Yeah. Pure athlete. Yeah. And I've been, uh, yeah, maligned from the top to the bottom. And because they can't handle the macho man Randy Savage, the cream of the crop, nobody does it better.